and there's this passage of young Merlin and some girl's boobs. <laughs> and he's like touching them. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello everyone! And today, we're going to go to the movie club. You can find me in the club. You should join our club, you and your friend. Now, if you're not going to take this seriously, perhaps we should disband the club now. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a part of things. Yeah. Movie club. And we're going to be talking about fantasy movies. Uh-huh. Now... Fantasy movies. What do you immediately think of when you hear fantasy movies? Because I think of Lord of the Rings. Yep, me too. Me too. Uh, however, the definition of a fantasy movie is fairly expansive. Yeah. Um, I I do generally think of Lord of the Rings type stuff. Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Uh, legend. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Willow. Some, yeah, Willow and Princess Bride and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But uh, there are obviously a lot of other movies out there that I guess if it has some sort of the mystical, the fantastical, those type of elements in it, then you can still consider it a fantasy. Exactly. So, yeah, the impetus of this is when this comes out, the Dark Tower movie has just dropped uh, Mm -hmm. the previous weekend. Yeah, with the least press ever. (laughs) Right? Like, this is the most unassuming major movie release in history. I'm concerned. I don't know. I mean, you see the trailer everywhere, but yeah, you don't see a whole lot of marketing. Well, and the trailer only came out a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually movies are giving us little bits of a poster here, a behind the scenes look here, a teaser here, Mm -hmm. and then six other trailers, then an international trailer. I'm concerned they might have a turd. Well, this has gotten so much. There's been so many iterations of this adaptation that, as we've talked about before, I, I... I look at the trailer and I don't I don't see what I've connected with with the books as the Dark Tower. I see an action movie. I have not at all. I've I read the books. I read the the Gunslinger about eight years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember anything from what this movie trailer is showing mm-hmm. at all. Like I mostly remember all the weird stuff, like on the beach and the crabs and the and the door that's out in the middle of nowhere exactly, and all of yeah. other stuff. That's what I remember about Gunslinger. This doesn't have really any of that. No, it's and, it's a bunch of shooting and yeah, of course it's the Gunslinger and everything. But the Gunslinger was always about kind of the the mystical elements, the mm-hmm. man in black and the drawing of the three and this whole like universe, this Middle Earth type of thing. Yeah, and it just looks like a stock action movie. I to will me. Say, I'm hoping I'll be surprised. We'll say this though, even if they do have a turd, they decided to go with the what is cons- i consider the last good summer slot of the year yeah. that first week of august which we've seen six cents and the fugitive and stuff and like that coming out in the past uh but yeah they jason still born jason born they could <laughs> just, they could still have they could still have a turd here you never know mm-hmm. uh but uh anyway uh so yeah what we would consider the best lord of the rings movies are, mm-hmm. are the best right i mean yeah and that and maybe the harry potter movies are in there yeah um couple of them at least you know the lord of the rings you mentioned this jeremy recently i caught the two towers again like uh, the other day it is so slow at the beginning yeah. of that movie yeah. man it's like there's, oh man i forgot about all this stuff with hugo weaving and the elven stuff and all that stuff and like 
man, it, it's compelling. It's good, but it is very, very deliberate yeah. until you get to the, the whole Helm's Deep It's a tale of two thing, movies, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, you know, Lord of the Rings, there is it ridiculous to say that it is still very close to real life, even though there's like all these, the, it's really the elements aren't like the big part of the movie, mm-hmm. really. Like, yeah, there's the ring that's got the magic, you know, Sauron wants it. And Sauron is like this big eye in the sky and there's trolls and shit like that. For the most part, those movies seem real, like it's a real world. Like it doesn't seem like you're in a completely different sci-fi setting or anything like that. Yeah. And I love how they do. I know. I love how they handle Gandalf. And I I haven't read the books in forever, but Mm -hmm. Gandalf doesn't Gandalf a whole lot in that movie. Like he has the big, you shall not pass in the first movie. And he's got the, you know, where he he scares off the the orc army and Mm -hmm. everything with his, with his uh, scepter. But like, it's not, he's not out there like fucking, lighten up fools with the staff yeah. like he's actually like hitting them well, and, sometimes. And i guess i guess it's supposed to be interpreted and i don't i have no idea i haven't gone through the whole you know the realms of tolkien and read every book that he's ever <laughs> you know not like stephen colbert over here <laughs> but uh but like I, I i guess they're saying in the in the in those books and the movies that there's only a certain amount of power he has and that he can only do it at, at when it's most needed mm-hmm. well, i always assumed that he was more powerful and could have done all this himself mm-hmm. but for him, it was more about empowering the others, huh? Like Frodo, and even in The Hobbit, Bilbo. I always, I always felt like, well, Gandalf could probably do all this, but in his view of Middle Earth, it's better for Middle Earth well, if these people step up and do it, and I just kind of guide. Them. There's hmm. a, there's a, maybe there's a certain sort of truth to that, but maybe there's also, maybe there's also much like the big uh, message about the ring and the power mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. Maybe uh, just a blind use of that kind of power is is frowned upon in the wizard world and everything. It's nothing that I've really become Saruman, probably. Right. right. So maybe he's afraid of becoming that. Mm-hmm. Right. He doesn't. Yeah, if you if you just use it indiscriminately and everything, then you're no different from those those other. You you become God and all this other stuff. So yeah, it's always. I never like I said. I've never read into it or anything. I did always wonder if he's got these powers. Why can't he just end it? <laughs> you know. And everything. There's got to be a reason, but I've I've never read such reason. But anyway, yeah, I think for the most part, these movies sort of ground themselves in a reality. But there's always these fantastical, mystical elements and everything that change, you know, make it you know more than just you know regular mm-hmm. drama. I tell you what, one of the most genius things Tolkien ever did was call his world Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. because the word Earth kind of subconsciously sticks in your brain and helps sell the illusion that this is all somehow connected to our earth mm-hmm. whether it's time or space that puts them in a different you know fantastical realm calling it middle earth was goddamn genius yeah mm-hmm. no and, it feels like his it feels like history almost well and know? it helps that this guy this was this is a guy that was kind of obsessed like mm-hmm. the world building is off the scale here <laughs> he, like he created an entire language and the cimmerillion and all the details and lore that he put into it that <laughs> That may not seem necessary if you're just a person wanting to consume one story, but it 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 all helps sell that realism underneath what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, who wants to kick us off on the best? On the best? Best. Well, I'm a little ashamed I wrote this down under best, but I'm, go- I'm going to throw out Excalibur. Ah. And I don't know when the last time you saw Excalibur was. I may have never seen it. It's been um, a long time. 
it may be the only King Arthur story made for adults. Like, mm. there's fucking nudity. There's, like, violence. And you look at almost any other King Arthur adaptation, and it's kind of family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and I was, I, it probably helps that I was a big King Arthur nerd, and I read all those books, like the Crystal Cave and... Uh, so I, I'm familiar with all the lore that's happening in the movie Excalibur, and it's really faithful to those books in terms of who the characters are and what they do within the story. Uh, and it's got a very dreamlike, ethereal look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because we said something, I said something recently about that uh, Sean Connery King Arthur movie, First Night, yeah, ripping yeah. on it. And I think I saw a comment on SoundCloud that was like, well, you talk about a bad King Arthur movie, Excalibur. And I was like, oh, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> I fucking love me some Excalibur. It was like right between the late 70s, early 80s, where they just didn't give a shit about kids and they just put <laughs> anything in their movie. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. And I actually think it's good. I, I know I Googled it when we were prepping for this show and it's like a 7.9 or 8 point something. Huh. Uh, so it's well regarded in general from the critical stance. So I, I, I'm not going out on too far of a limb, uh, but I've, I've seen it twice in the last year. Like, really? Yeah. I just uh, maybe I'm just a King Arthur nerd. Mm-hmm. What 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 Colbert did with Tolkien? I did that with King Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> I was all in on the King Arthur. There's so much to do in that universe, though. You've got the whole backstory of Merlin. You got the yeah. whole Lancelot, Guinevere, King Arthur love triangle. I'm you pretty Galahad sure my first boner ever was reading the crystal cave <laughs> i was about to ask if you read mary stewart novels and stuff like that yes well what's her name there's a mary somebody who wrote like seven king arthur novels mary stewart is it mary stewart mm-hmm. and the crystal cave is one of those yeah i think so i read all those books but in the crystal cave merlin's young uh-huh. and there's a moment where he like i was 15 no not my first boner I was 11. <laughs> I just, I had never read a book that made me aroused. And there's this passage of young Merlin and some girl's boobs. And he's like touching them. And of course, I probably shouldn't have been reading this book at that age. But I have very like vivid memories of like being aroused by that yeah. book. Nice. So there's, I mean, King Arthur has over the years been dumbed down and mm. made more family friendly. Uh, but there is patricide and matricide, and I just, I mean, it's just, it's nuts. I love it. I eat it up. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. My best is The Princess Bride. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't fault that shit. For sure. Oh, it's just so perfectly paced. Mm-hmm. And going back and forth between, you know, the grandfather and Fred Savage, and then, you know, diving back into this world, sometimes really without any warning, like, they're in the middle of the story. Here, here's, here's what, you know, go mm-hmm. past the kissing parts and stuff like that. And, man, I had really high hopes for Carrie Elways after this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always thought that he was generally, like, he falls in that Bill Pullman type of category where, like, kind of a cheesy actor. Well, you could flip any of their roles in their career and it probably works. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he's so freaking cool in this mm-hmm. movie you can't get any it's it's wesley and it's it's the the dread pirate roberts and this story is just so compelling mm-hmm. and then you get like the little bits of like the billy crystal thing thrown in yeah. there and uh, wallace sean and andre the giant like everybody is working in perfect harmony in mm-hmm. this movie it's rob reiner man yeah because my wife about five years ago went out and got the book and yeah, yeah. read the book and it's 
I don't want to say it's nothing like the movie because, you know, most of what you see in the movie is in the book, but mm. there's all this other stuff, and it's taken a lot more seriously. Yes. And, and somebody, I'm assuming it's Rob Reiner, had to come along and, and see a vision for what the Princess Bride would become and, and draw it out of this book, mm. and it's just magic yeah and it's it's one of the only acting credits that uh is introducing robin wright mm -hmm. that actually that character that actress yeah. goes on to do something because yeah. mm -hmm. like, normally if Seriously. you get like introducing ernest chu or whatever right, from, right. from dust till dawn yeah. it's like eh. yeah he's like well uh. <laughs> introducing and saying goodbye to this person <laughs> right um yeah and the princess bride we may we may have touched on this before when we talked about princess bride wasn't a hit when it mm, came out right it took about 10 years for it to finally get catch on and everything. I watched it pretty early. I didn't see it in the theaters, mm. but uh, I, I'm, I may have been one of those early adopters. Like when I was like nine, it was when I was 13 or 14 is when I first saw this. And and whoever introduced it to me loved it. So mm -hmm. it was like starting right right around that time, I think people like really getting into The Princess Bride. Yeah, it's just, it's just. I mean, there's not anything. There's not one bad note in that movie. No, there really isn't. And at this time in my life, age, I guess nine to sixteen, if we saw movies, it was on TV with commercials and edited, or my mom had gone to the library and brought home a VHS. That's mm -hmm. literally the only time I got to see movies. And of course, she was preacher's wife. She's more inclined to pick the wholesome-looking things. This is why Back to the Future was something I watched so often, <laughs> or Candleshoe. Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when she would bring something home, I would just watch it over and over and over because I knew it was going back to the library in a couple of days or what have you. Uh, and Princess Bride was one of those movies. Mm -hmm. So I think I accidentally was an early adopter. Yeah. But I have vivid memories of driving from St. Louis all the way back to Indiana in a van full of Bible quizzers like myself, teenagers. Mm -hmm. And we spent the entire trip quoting this movie. <laughs> we, we started in the beginning and we quoted the entire... Between the 12 of us, we all knew the movie so well... <laughs> No, we didn't miss a beat. We got mm -hmm. through the whole movie. Man, that, was, that was the fastest five-hour car drive ever. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was rad. Yeah. It's so quotable. Uh, it really is. I, I Just the other day, I was doing the, you are the bird squad. Like, anytime <laughs> my wife and I say something with that kind of inflection, I always go back to, you are the bird squad. Uh, Anybody want a peanut? Anybody want a peanut? Uh, yeah, it's... it's there's not a scene that's not quotable. Mm -hmm. well, anyway, apparently, yeah. the uh, um, <laughs> drinking of Andre the Giant was legendary. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to imagine how much liquor do you think it takes for that guy to even get a buzz? Yeah, like, I know. Well, that keg. was the thing. Like he he like, he had like I mean if if I told you he drank a keg and he may have drank more than that. He might have. It was it was one of those type of things. Like you know he he had to really drink to get silly um, <laughs> that performance is just like he's always smiling or giggling or just like some basically even that fight with wesley yeah he's just kind of like lumbering around yeah. like yeah all right now you guys brought up how the movie is different you brought up the movie is different from the book and everything william goldman wrote both the, the mm, book yeah. and the screenplay yeah so it is it's an interesting thing did he adapt his book this way or did reiner come in and like add those little whimsical elements to it and everything it's it i mean it's almost like it's not airplane or anything like that but it's got some of that kind of you know elements yep. to it and everything yeah sort of like having fun with the genre while it's uh also telling a compelling you know fairy tale yeah. there should be more movies like it yes i agree like in this landscape of every time i see a new remake or sequel that i just want to hit my face <laughs> i actually would smile if i saw somebody making some kind of princess bride sequel mm-hmm mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I would go back to that world. Yeah. Fuck, if they're going to make Full House on Netflix <laughs> for all the whoever the idiots are that watch that shit, they could make me a Princess Bride, too, with old Carrie Elwes. Yeah, pretty much everybody's around except for Peter Falk, I guess. Well, and Andre the Giant. And Andre the Giant, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm- oh, Fred. Um, Savage? Yeah, Fred Savage. He's sadly gone. Oh my God! You just killed Fred Savage. <laughs> well, I just—I was joking. You know what Fred Savage? You know what Fred Savage is, does most? Where I see his name most often now is he's usually doing some sort of TV show, like an episode. He'll—he'll direct—he directs. He's one of those for hire uh-huh. TV director guys. Like, huh. I bet if I went into Fred Savage's IMDb right now, it would be like you know one episode of CSI, <laughs> one of Big Bang Theory, you know that type of thing. Well, um, he should have done Kramer's script when Kramer went to LA. <laughs> he should have. I'm not one of those weirdos. Stars. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Uh, I, I never had seen anything like this before. Now, I don't know if this was something that was common in like Chinese film or whatever to have people flying around and 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 doing all these like amazing impossible things while they're doing martial arts and everything. Uh, but this was the first time I had ever seen it, and they got you know uh, you know one of the best directors you can get is yeah. Ang Lee, and uh, the movie is so beautifully shot. That's mm-hmm. the thing that just in that's what I just end up on. But you, I mean, it's a it's a action lover's dream to have Chow Yun Fat and Michelle Yeoh in the same thing, and a great you know turn from Zhang Ziyi too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but man, the, everything about the movements in this movie are just poetic and just like it's lyrical yeah it's uh and i was gonna say even you take all the fighting out of it take all the flying sword fights out it's fucking gorgeous mm-hmm. yeah like, it's one of the most be- like pretty looking movies i've ever seen yeah i'll watch anything ang lee makes at yeah. this point because i'm just like i'm very curious about how he decides on his project because they seem to be all over the place because yeah. not too long after crouching tiger that he goes on to make hulk um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But when Crouching Tiger came out, I remember a big deal. It was like the highest grossing foreign language film in the U.S. Yep. ever at the time. I don't know if it still is. Um, but this is a movie that's subtitled. They, like, mm-hmm. they didn't dumb it down for American audiences. Um, and I appreciate that. And I do think if you watch, if you go watch a lot of like like Asian kung fu stuff, you'll see. I know in Iron Monkey, they're kind of float flying a lot like mm-hmm. they do in Crouching Tiger. Well, and I think yeah. that's pretty common. After this, you started seeing it everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think it was probably in asian cinema before crouching tiger and mm. crouching tiger just sort of like took it national or international i suppose uh, brought it to us Yikes. yeah i like how it's surprising though like the first time that you see this happening mm-hmm. your jaw drops mm-hmm. it's almost yeah. like it apples to oranges but it's like scott pilgrim versus the world where they start this video game fighting in an otherwise fairly normal universe yeah. you know uh you're seeing like a martial arts movie and you're, you're figuring they're gonna fight and, and punch and kick mm-hmm. and then they start doing this yeah. shit and you're like oh my god yeah. well and you that do that that scene with the, in the trees man oh, oh my god i just i you could put that on like repeat <laughs> back in the background i would always be interested in it never get old um but uh but yeah that's uh that's something that i don't know if is a movie that you immediately think fantasy when you you think more martial arts probably when you when you first hear crouching tiger hidden dragon but it it, it, you know to have all this you know these weird abilities these this leaping and jumping and all this type of stuff Mm -hmm. abilities and everything adds that fantastical element to Mm -hmm. it so anyway uh good call favorites 
I'm going to go back to the 13th Warrior with Antonio ah. Banderas. Ooh. I've talked about this movie on this podcast before, so <laughs> I don't want to repeat myself too much. Uh, but it's clearly fantasy. We're dealing with basically Beowulf and his, you know, Nordic men. And they pick up this. I don't know why you cast Antonio Banderas as like an Indian poet <laughs> prince. <laughs> but they did. And he plays the role fine. Uh, he sounds Spanish the entire time, but hey, what am I going to explain? And they're, they're basically trying to help save this town from attacking fireworm. Um, now, they will go on to find out later that the fireworm is mostly mythical, and it's just uh, humans, kind of natives that live in caves nearby that have that are scaring them. with They light these things, and it looks like a fireworm's coming down. Of course, this is set in a time where, you know, Earth is flat. Mm-hmm. Fireworms are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in full on. Remember back then when fireworms yeah. are everywhere, man. Well, my point is that you would, you could believe a fireworm was. This is like Game of Thrones type right. setting where you know the White Walkers are coming and you just buy it. No, like, no, um, I've seen fossils at the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is I went to Montana with my wife several years ago. This tiny little town called Whitefish, and they have some kind of weird local myth that they have fun with about a furry fish mm-hmm. that they caught in the lake. And it's not real. It's like a jackalope. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like their version of the jackalope. But we went to like a whitefish museum that had all of these legit historical newspaper clippings. And this <laughs> it was because it was like a railroad town, basically, is how it started. They were building a railroad through there. So there's all this great history in this one room museum, but there's a whole exhibit dedicated to the furry fish. Nice. <laughs> like, you motherfuckers are gonna fool someone into yeah. thinking that shit is real. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, that I, I got us derailed. Uh, the 13th Warrior is just great. It's mm-hmm. good, solid. If you like the Game of Thrones, King Arthur type stuff, I think you would really, really enjoy it. It's based on a Michael Crichton novel, Eaters of the Dead, which is a much worse title. Uh, 13th Warriors. <laughs> Have you read the book? They knew what baby tastes like. Uh, I, th- I did read that book. I went through a Crichton phase where, well, this was 12 years ago or so, where I read most of his bigger titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I-, I like the movie a little better mm-hmm. in this instance. It's not always the case with Crichton, like Sphere. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But uh, now there's swor- swords, there's mead, mm-hmm. there's manliness. <laughs> swords and mead. It's just, it's one of those mm-hmm. movies. I fucking love it. Um, and I don't know, neither of you are going to name it, so I had to throw it out there. All That's right. true. My favorite is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Now, Not that- to be confused with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So yeah. you're like the Gene Wilder version. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, though. This is the 1971 version where this is peak Gene Wilder. Yep. I mean, this is his peak as a physical actor, as a comedian, mm-hmm. and he's got surprising bits of seriousness mm-hmm. in this thing. I mean, the whole thing of, I said, good day, sir, yeah. is, you know, meme-worthy at this point. Yeah. But, like, it was legitimately, like, shocking when you're a kid watching this. Mm-hmm. And, like, what the hell, man? This is this is Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um, it's It's got absolutely everything. You it, think he was on something when he made that movie? Possibly. Possibly. It, it is an unhinged performance. That's what I'm saying. It's the kind of performance that makes you wonder if it's possible without added effects. You know, I think I think it is possible because what he's got, and you've seen it, you see it in some of his other performances, he's got this craziness behind his mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. Young Throughout the whole movie. Yeah, Young Frankenstein, mm-hmm. absolutely, where he's just like, his eyes are dancing. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows 
how this story is going to play out, pretty mm-hmm. much. He is in complete control of this whole situation, even though it looks like there's all these pratfalls and accidents and things like that. He knows that he's weeding, it's a weird story, he's weeding these kids out yeah. to the one, you know, worthy one. Yeah, hoping to give it to his nephew, you know? And yeah. He's like, you know, uh, isn't, that the, isn't that the whole thing, though? He's He pretty much hopes that it's going to be Charlie. Uh-huh the whole time and yeah. really the, the all the other all the other kids are sort of like an example to him if he you know goes down the, down the wrong path yeah and, and he sizes them up mm-hmm. i don't know in it i guess I, you could do some digging into this to see like if he was in control of who got the golden tickets mm-hmm. um but when they first arrive and you know he lets them enter into the the factory he sizes them up like mm-hmm. he goes through and just kind of like you know what what's this person's defining characteristic Farouk assault and violent and all this stuff and uh and then he just systematically takes them out yeah oh yeah but they take themselves out i mean oh, the, yeah. he, he sets them up it's almost like free will kevin yeah, well, you know i mean yeah it's uh <laughs> you know he's uh setting up the the tree of life everywhere he goes yeah. you know don't don't eat it man <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, you know? uh there's a great i think it's buffalo wild wings commercial that spoofs the song the golden ticket song oh yeah with the table gating song <laughs> I was singing it around the house. This is about three years ago. And my wife liked it so much. Like, she will spontaneously ask me to sing this song. But it's like, we're going table gating. The place where we can watch football all day long. (laughs) Well, that's the funny thing about this, actually, is that it is a musical. And you don't even think about the Chocolate Factory movie being a a musical. But Mm -hmm. it's got some great songs, you know. Follow me and you'll see Mm -hmm. your imagination. Yeah. So yeah, good that's shit. that's good. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch that if you haven't seen it in a while. It's awesome. right in my childhood. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I've mentioned this one a bunch. I, I could go with an, an alternate, but I'm I gotta talk about the never ending story. Is my yeah. favorite. Yeah. Never ending story. Yeah, yeah really. I, I I have Midnight in Paris like you know marked down as as one of my favorites and everything, but never ending story is where it's, it's at. chambered, baby. Let yeah. it fly. Talk about childhood. There Jesus. is a there is a a. a grand tradition of these type of stories right where uh the things that happen in the story are both real and imagined at the same time they sort of live in that weird state of that that's where the never-ending story is i feel like yeah, like mm-hmm. the whole, like he's reading a book that uh, eventually refers to him yeah as he's reading it and of course by the end of it he's writing on falcor and uh, vanquishing the bullies and everything um but uh you know you have the wizard of oz is kind of like that and um uh, labyrinth is a lot like Mm -hmm. that where they they're going on this sort of metaphorical journey or whatever and but all the stuff that they learned and did makes a difference to their real life yep and uh, but the never-ending story constantly gives you as a kid something to you know to hold on to. It's constantly moving to different, all these different worlds, different creatures, and everything. Well, and the production values are so good. Yeah, yeah. You talk about something like, um, well, Wizard of Oz is pretty great, but like the the foggy bog and like it feels like a real place. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. like a movie like Labyrinth that you just named seems to have been made on a budget of zero dollars right, <laughs> it right, seems to be right. like on a muppets uh fraggle rock there's yeah. art going on in the never ending <laughs> yeah. story and and i think that's important to fantasy it's why a movie like labyrinth never hit for me uh my wife loves it sorry babe uh because i need to be able to be sucked in never ending story does that extremely well. it does i mean because it, it starts off by just having bastian go into this bookstore he's hiding from the bullies and this just you know 
this mysterious you know book bookstore owner guy is like like uh you know you don't want to read this book and, and he's like i was like i can handle it i've read moby dick and i've read like a million other books and everything. and he just keeps doing that whole like you don't really want to read this you don't really want, making him want to read it more yeah. and eventually he steals it and the book bookstore owner like has that smile on his face yeah, yeah that's what i wanted all along <laughs> and uh but yeah, and uh, but he's when he's going through here, and Atreyu is basically Bastion, I guess, as mm. the as the warrior that's going through here, and he's going to try to stop the nothing. Just so many different, like, just fun things he keeps running into all the way through. He runs into these friends; they're all, cre- I mean, they're just we- they're just well creative, creatively made, you know, creatures. The rock biter, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, um, and. Uh, you know, they have to stop this nothing. You never really know exactly what that nothing is. Mm-hmm. You can um, just imagine. That's what the movie does so much, so well, is make you imagine what the nothing is. It yeah. does, doesn't really ask you to, you know, doesn't really spell it out for you and everything. But it makes it scary. Yeah, it does. And I mean, there's stakes here. I remember being scared by this movie, yeah. even while I loved it. Yeah. Because it's, it's taking over, like, the universe, right? Yeah, yeah. It's mm. it, And I have I always, I've said this before, I've always interpreted the nothing to be uh, sort of people's imaginations going away mm-hmm. and people wanting things spoon-fed to them and, and all that. I've always thought of that as, as what that is. And Bastion has to use his imagination to get the worlds back up to, to speed by the end of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're talking about the production values when he runs into that turtle who sneezes yeah. all the time, that foggy looking yeah. like everything is amazing. And that's another just memorable character, too. That turtle is just like, not that it matters. <laughs> and he keeps sneezing on him. And like, you know, Trey's always got the like snot all over him and everything. And it, it doesn't talk down to kids either. It. Mm-mm. It's it's sitting, it, you know, there's a point where he's on his horse and his, you know, Artax gets into the quicksand and it like, you're like, oh, how are they going to save Artax? Guess what? Artax is dead, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> now I just want you to narrate the movie. To me. <laughs> I mean, oh, that man. was probably one of my early like when I was seven, eight years old and everything. One of my early cry during a movie moments is Artax because you're like, how is he going to, you know, like, first off, oh, that's a horse. He he, he died. And then the next is, how is Atreyu going to make it now? He doesn't have a horse. He's going to have to walk everywhere now. And the scene of the, the freaking Oracle and everything mm. that has always captured my imagination. The Oracle, man. Those two, like you see the um, the trailer for Blade Runner twenty fifty nine, has something in it that reminds me so much of that Oracle in it. You know how Treyu has to run and make sure that he gets there before the eyes open up yep. and shoot the lasers, and you see like the the bones of the other travelers that have tried <laughs> it before and everything. What a fucking great movie! It is. is. You say you mentioned that one of your first cries at that Artax dying scene. That was actually my second boner. well mine was for the childlike empress but it was okay because i was seven (laughs) and then i got to meet her in real life and that was awesome we were right next to her (laughs) we were right next to her in the rhode island comic-con yeah we were that was awesome yeah yeah and across from ralph malchio nice i'm telling you ralph malchio is a stud yeah stood there Mm -hmm. for eight fucking hours oh yeah and dean kane dean kane was there yep yeah yeah, it's good times. Yeah, mm-hmm. good time had by all. All right, uh, underseen. 
My underscene is Ever After. Oh. Um, if you remember, Ever After came out in 1998. Yeah, it was somewhere around there, either 97 or 98. And um, man, I saw this movie. I don't remember anything about it. I know Drew Barrymore is in it. She and is. Angelica Houston, too. Yeah, exactly. No, this is, I really think this is a movie that's lost to time. Nobody ever talks about this movie. No. And it's, it's a very good reimagining of the Cinderella story. Mm. And this was really at the time, it was post like kind of freewheeling, drug using Drew Barrymore's period where she's flashing Dave Letterman. Yeah, this has never stuff. been kissed Drew Barrymore, right? Yeah, she's exactly. She's still pretty wholesome at this point. Yeah. I mean, I imagine she is today too. I'm not saying she's gone downhill or something. And she's beautiful. And the, the whole mood of this movie is just very ethereal. Like it's really, really fun to watch. It, unlike, you know, the, the Branna version of Cinderella that came out recently. Like yeah. this is, this is a reimagining and it, and it works. Um, and it's just one of those things that's it's just kind of swept under the rug. Yeah. Came out in the, those late 90s yeah. uh, fantasies, and it, it was a lot of fun. I saw it in the theater uh, on a first date with my girlfriend in high school, man. Right. Came out the uh, summer of 1998. I just uh, looked uh, that up. Um, yeah. The same summer as Godzilla. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you know, every time I hear the year 1998, I, I just, there's a involuntary, like, oh, that yeah, was a horrible especially year. Especially for me, because I, I lived in Chattanooga, in 98 for exactly like eight months mm -hmm. and i saw most everything that came out that summer uh in the theater and then i moved here to nashville it was this weird transitional spot so when i think of 98 summer movies i know exactly which theater i was mm -hmm. in and i can always tell you which movies were from that summer. yeah fucking garbage came out in 1998 yeah, it was sure. a hot mess it's, it's funny we we recently did all a string of podcasts where a lot of stuff was coming up for 1997 which yeah. 97 was a great year right and then, but then every time I hear 98, I'm like, oh, I know that's a horrible year. Like, it's <laughs> like, I don't even have to think about the movies that came out. It's just, I know it. Yep. Know it in my bones. Part of your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's worth a look. No, I like that. Mm -hmm. uh, for Underseen, I'm going to go with The Dark Crystal. Yeah. Ah. Which may be Underseen because of age, but mm -hmm. I feel like even... 20 years ago that movie was underseen it may have it may have been i don't know if it was a big hit at all i don't think it was i was five i think when this came out and i was i was very much into dark crystal when it came out just like et and all that yeah. when it came out it made a lot of run like it had a big solid run on video cassette like, yeah that was passed around a lot like i even got the um the little uh you remember those things they used to make where they had the you had the record and you could follow along with the book oh yeah and everything mm -hmm. i got one of those like they used to have those uh those little things that would come into school like every month or whatever you could order yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. off of it and there that's where i got the dark crystal one i had some kind of graphic novel version of it oh yeah i used to read hmm. it on family car trips all the time um this movie is dark yes it is uh, again it's got the word dark in the title back in the 80s man nobody yeah. gave a fuck about your kid <laughs> no man your kid is about to be scarred like, yeah you, you should probably not show this movie to anybody under the age of, i'm guessing 10 <laughs> maybe even a little older than that mm. um I, <laughs> <laughs> this is um uh, you know, basically, like, what if we did Muppets, but for adults, and it was a fantasy, mm -hmm. and it was creepy? Yeah. Not, like, quite to the extent of, like, Meet the Feebles for adults and creepy. <laughs> no. Uh, where uh, Muppets are vomiting in toilets and whatnot. Yeah. But um, this movie is not for kids, and it's creepy, and, uh, you know, it's like, it's like home to mm. me. I just, I watched it so much when I was little, and I remember feeling at that time like I was on a very private bandwagon mm -hmm. uh, because it wasn't the kind, it wasn't like E.T. 
Yeah. Where every kid in school had seen this. It was felt like it was kind of like my private little thing I had discovered. Um, was it all Muppets or was there any live actors? No, it's all Muppets. I mean, there are humanoid characters, but they're Muppets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something about those movies back then, even though puppets, I don't know if they really hold up as far as special effects are right. concerned. There's still something real about them. Yeah. And and uh, and and there's something better about them than just the special the the random special effect. That well, we and see. they're ornate as fuck. These mm-hmm. puppets. Oh yeah, and detailed as hell. This is like nobody's trying to fudge anything mm-hmm. here. Uh, so even if you know you're looking at a puppet, it's still kind of mind blowing to look at the attention to detail. Remember when the guys from South Park made Team America. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an interview afterwards. They were like, working with puppets fucking sucks. Yeah. I'm never doing that again. It's so difficult. And, you know, this is what Jim Henson built his life around. Mm -hmm. Just really, really cared about it. Uh, Anyway, it's not like the Muppets. I don't want to give you that idea. You're not going to laugh a whole (laughs) bunch. There's probably a few moments where you're going to, you know, be creeped out. Maybe one or two where you, you know, have to poop. I don't know why I said that. Uh, One, you've got... um... (laughs) Um, it's, it's a lot of bodily issues happening. Yes, <laughs> it's, uh, I, 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 just go on. Well, uh, and I, I can't remember that there isn't aren't isn't the is it, it's Gelflings are the yeah. these are the last Gelflings that are on Earth or whatever, and then the Skeksis want them. Yeah, there's a there's sort of a what is it a symbiotic relationship between yeah. the two. One dies, another one of theirs dies, and so on and so forth. Yep. A really interesting setup at the beginning of it. Uh, where if one of the bad ones dies, the good one of the good ones dies as well. So they Josh, can't kill each other. My buddy Josh used to quote all the time, looks like Guffin. Yeah. <laughs> smells like Guffin. Anyway. And that's Frank Oz. <laughs> yeah. Frank Oz is, uh, of course, lending his voice to that. Of course he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, all right. So under scene, I do want to pimp out Stardust. Um, mm. Matthew Vaughn, very forgotten movie. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be able to talk too much about Stardust. It's been since it came out, since I've seen it. But I remember enjoying it, and I remember hearing a lot of other people say they enjoyed it, too. And it's just one of those type of movies that just went under the radar, and nobody is, really... Is that Ewan McGregor? Oh, Ewan McGregor. I know that Claire Danes is in it. It's got Charlie Cox okay, uh, okay. in it, and Robert De Niro is in it. Oh, I was thinking of Star Wars. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's a, that's, that's easy. That's easy to understand. Definitely. But uh, Sienna Miller, Miller's in it. Ian McKellen's in it. Um, but uh, and Michelle Fiverr's in it. Um, but it's. Um, I just remember enjoying it. It's really good, and it just it's just been forgotten by time. The one mm. that I wanted to bring up is Dark City. Oh, uh-huh. Dark City is a movie I did not like when I first watched wow. it. I didn't like it. Um, and it came out in 1998 as well. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I didn't like it probably because I just didn't understand it. I thought it was too arty, and I yeah. thought it was too too something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I watched it again, and and holy shit, do I love Dark City? Mm-hmm. You know, Dark City is one of those movies I always think of when I see a new trailer for a Guillermo del Toro movie, yeah. mm-hmm. like that water one that was on mm-hmm. War for the Planet of the Apes. Which yeah, but I don't I don't ever feel like his movies have the substance behind the visuals. Right. But visually, Dark City could easily be a Guillermo del Toro movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's super specific world building creep factor. Yeah. Dialed up to 11. 
Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. It's one of those movies that sort of, it, you know, you don't know exactly what the deal is. And right. then it has a big reveal by the end of it. But um, but it visually outstanding movie. Alex Proya started off really good. Like the Crow hasn't really held up over mm-hmm. the years. But Dark City and then... I thought this guy was one of our next it director yep. guys, and then he went on to do like iRobot and stuff like that. What's he done since then? He's, I mean, he's probably done surprisingly amount of movie. Like I looked at his uh, filmography recently, and it's like, oh, he did that, huh? Oh, I see. Like he went from I'm gonna do awesome movies like this to you know like uh, was it Gods of Egypt, oh. Knowing. <laughs> i was watching tv the other day and they were playing a trailer for gods of egypt and my wife would pop to say something and got wrapped up in the trailer she's like oh that looks good i was like no yeah it's really not uh, i used to be i used to pimp dark city mostly from the trailer because the trailer is one of my favorite trailers of all time mm-hmm. uh but the movie itself is actually very good and this is one of those where rufus sewell isn't a bad guy movie <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, 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 the one time yeah it's the one time in the entire in his entire career he's not the bad guy um but uh yeah it's got it's just a really interesting and, and you could really get, call it sci-fi i guess sci-fi and fantasy yeah yeah, yeah. um uh and i think it's a it's a good precursor to the matrix yep. and new line cinema come out with this one too so um sort of one of those movies that sort of has you to question your reality and everything like that. And uh, so if you haven't seen Dark City, I would suggest There highly. was a good run of movies like that because we had that, The Matrix, The 13th Floor. Mm-hmm. There were one or two others in there and all are kind of playing on the same themes and they're all really watchable, yeah. even though The Matrix is clearly the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually heard somebody randomly bring up The 13th Floor the other day and I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> i may be the only person in this room who knows who you're, what you're talking about yeah. <laughs> like, raise your hand if you've seen the 13th floor yeah. oh i see the lack of hands so uh alex yeah. price uh, was an accomplished music video director too now was he? he did crowded houses don't dream it's over oh really video. did a lot wow. of stuff in the 80s did an nxs song uh did uh a, a I yes song he was that rhythm old. of love hmm I yeah, know, I guess I was younger than that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, underrated. Underrated. Yeah. Dun, what do you dun, think? Dun, dun, dun. All right. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Rankin Bass Hobbit animated movie. Wow. Oh, all right. Now it may just be that up until then I had no movie version of Tolkien <laughs> to watch, but I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remember it. I have not probably seen it in 20 years, but I remember really really liking it. Um. The animation's really pretty cool. It's a 67 on Rotten Tomatoes. I mm-hmm. feel like that's just a little bit of a slap in the face. I feel like it's a... Like, I have two friends that are super big Tolkien nerds, and they basically worship this movie. Oh, yeah. The Rankin-Bass animated version. Like, as much as they love what Peter Jackson did, the soul of the story of Tolkien is still going back to this animated film. Mm-hmm. And I also want to throw out for another underrated, because I did it, I did research, and mm-hmm. so I don't want to voice it that, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Mm. Now, I think everybody who likes Harry Potter probably agrees Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix are probably the two best films. Mm-hmm. I think some fans will slip in that eighth movie, the climax mm-hmm. or whatever, as mm-hmm. one of their favorites. But after that, how do we even choose? 
Yeah. My point is, Goblet of Fire cannot be so demonstrably worse than the rest of the Harry Potter movies. It is the one right before things get serious. Mm -hmm. And so you could say it's just a little too goofy because we've got the romance and the dance and the... But the, the Triwizard Tournament is a very intriguing wrinkle. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenges of, obviously, Voldemort's plan in this movie is ridiculous. Yes. Uh, but we get to see the French girls and the Viking guys come in and, you know, that the whole put your name in the thing and get called. for I, I really like Goblet of Fire. I think it's super watchable and fun. But just listen to what I found researching. Collider has a list of the best Harry Potter movies. Mm -hmm. They have Goblet of Fire sixth. Mm -hmm. mm, out of eight, right? Screen Rat has it seventh. And Rotten Tomatoes scores it actually third. Hmm. Oh, yeah? To underscore my point. Right. But from the critic's standpoint, <laughs> it's up there. Three or four. It's right near the top. Uh-huh. But all these other lists I've looked at, anytime I talk Harry Potter movies to people, Goblet of Fire is always getting shit on. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. pivot chapter in the entire thing. Yep. It's a, and I think that's what a lot of people sort of like maybe don't respond to in the whole thing because it's not really it's it is but it's not really continuing the story we've seen the last three right uh three stories it's really all about this triwizard tournament and yes by the end of it it connects but um it, it you know you're wondering where this is going and everything yeah. but it's a pivot chapter so it's it's that's where i think a lot of people sort of lose it a little bit because it's not it doesn't have quidditch and it doesn't have like you know, the usual Voldemort is up to no good in Hogwarts yeah. bullshit. Yeah, no, I think this has got some of the most impressive visuals of the series, though, mm -hmm. because it does have a little bit of Quidditch at the very beginning where you have the, the Victor Crumb yeah. uh, in the World Cup of Quidditch. Now, how he's in the World Cup, but still somehow in high school is beyond me. Yeah, he's and, Pele, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, between that Never mind, and the, that the stadium. Stuff, I don't oh, care where right? you're sitting in that stadium. You can't see any Quidditch. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you, they fly by, though, you know? But no, but I'm saying it's so bright across the way. Yeah. That, and there's so many people across the way. There, I mean, the one thing that you don't see is that they're all using magic spells to watch the Quidditch. Oh, okay. <laughs> They've right. got it on the yeah, screen. It's all, magnif it's all magnified. But because is, uh, if, they, if they're staying in a tent... That looks like from the outside it can only hold three people and it actually holds 50, then, yeah. then they're watching the Quidditch match perfectly. I mean, that's the first, the, that's one of the first visuals that you get. And you get Harry walking in there. He's like, I love magic. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. got a lot of good moments. This in movie it. also gave me one of my favorite, like, it's one of the most British moments of the entire Harry Potter series when harry calls ron a right foul git yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> which as an american I, that uh, if you're in britain that, that maybe that just rolls off the tongue on the regular i don't know but for an american that was one of the most british moments of the entire harry potter series oh, yeah. I, i've used it i put it in a sin i'll call my wife a right foul kid. <laughs> i don't know what i'm calling her i yeah. could be calling her like a murdering pimp i don't know what a git is yeah. i just know british people use it to slam someone yeah anyway that movie is probably not hated mm. but it's underrated mm. it's yeah better than it's it's rating by the public oh yeah uh i'm gonna say secret window okay is my underrated one so this is 46 percent rotten tomatoes another johnny depp donny jet movie donny jet movie <laughs> yes this is this is could be underseen or underrated really mm -hmm. because it's a real small it's based on a stephen king story it's a very small movie it takes place almost exclusively in this cabin mm -hmm. and of course it's a writer stephen king is writing about a writer mm. uh who's Never got writer's that. block yeah exactly and he's got this epic case of writer's block and 
he gets this strange visit from John Turturro's character that shows up th- saying that he's stolen his story. Mm-hmm. And it sets off this series of events that is really, really interesting. Wasn't there a movie that came out after this that basically stole this entire premise? There was something about that. Yeah, I, I don't can't remember, remember what, what it, was. it was either, but I, I still haven't seen The Secret Window, but people inadvertently uh, spoiled Secret Window because I had seen this other movie oh, and yeah. they were like, oh, that's just like Secret Window. I'm like, well, OK, fuck. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got this is one of like the the underrated debt performances where he's not crazy. He's not over the top. He's not under pounds of makeup. Um, he does wear a silly hat in one of the scenes, mm. but, um, yeah, it's, it's really understated. Um, it, it's a quiet story and then it gets a little bonkers at the end. Got a great performance by Maria Bello too. Mm-hmm. And John Turturro is creepy as shit in this movie. Love mm. Maria Bello. I don't know why she isn't in more stuff. I know, man. She made I bad know. choices. Maybe. I don't know. She was in that cooler movie. Yeah, and, she's and great in the cooler. usually great. She was on ER. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Mel Gibson payback movie. Right. Mm-hmm. She's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, almost but- everything that she's in, I've always really liked her. And I, I felt like she was, I mean, I guess she's sort of relegated to character actress at this point, but mm-hmm. uh, really enjoy Maria Bella. Yeah. So this is a good, like, straightforward, fantastical story, uh, as most Stephen King stories are. Uh, but it's but it's grounded in really good performances. It could be you know a play for for that matter. Mm-hmm. It's really Sounds good. like if Stephen King wrote The Shack, <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 or maybe The Shack ripped off Stephen uh. King, and, and instead of John Turturro, it's God. Yes. <laughs> so how how often did he write about writers having writing writers block? Shining is one. Misery's one. Insomnia. Insomnia. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's so many times where he must have had writers block, and he's oh, like, yeah. "I'll make a whole goddamn story about that." <laughs> I'll make it the bad guy. Yeah. yeah, good for good for him, man. Yeah. He's finding a way out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> And you would never think of him as somebody who has writer's block because he comes out with like two novels yeah, a year. I know, He's man. so prolific. And they're all like 600 pages. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. On my underrated, uh, and, and I looked this up, it, I guess it's I guess it's got decent, it's decently rated, but Sliding Doors oh, is a movie yeah. that I've, I, I haven't seen it in forever. I mean, yeah. it, it, this came out in 1998. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, but. I've always enjoyed that idea, and we've seen some movies recently that have sort of done what we would call a sliding doors thing. Like, um, uh, what was the uh, the the movie um, that George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe? Five hundred days of summer. Five hundred mm. days of summer did the sliding doors yeah, thing, and it's great. Yeah, and uh, but sliding doors takes this very simple premise: what if your you know one thing in your life was different? And and it shows basically what her life would be if this one thing didn't happen. So like it really is, you know, one thing delays her from getting back home to, to catch her boyfriend cheating on her. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, she catches them. Mm-hmm. And it's so like the like, sliding doors of the subway, right? Is yeah, that yeah, how- yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so like the whole movie goes about telling us what this story is and and it has some, I, I don't know, I guess it's not surprising for a movie revelations, but mm. it's surprising, I guess, revelations by the end of it. Because mm. you think, oh, well, it, it was better for her to know now that this was happening than her to n- not know and, and everything. But it's got different 
you know, there's different positives and negatives to both no, sides. No, I love it. They actually, they do this a lot in TV, it seems like. I was actually watching an old Scrubs episode. Um, mm-hmm. And there's one called, like, My Butterfly or anything. You remember this? Where uh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, tell yeah, the yeah. story two different ways. And they've each got their own patients that they're working on. And some of them have a positive outcome and some of them have a different one. And it's this Zach Braff, you know, narration mm-hmm. where he's like, what would happen if this was different? And then, you know, everything kind of changes. The story goes back and, and retells itself. And then there's, like, an emotionally powerful ending to it that's unexpected. There's a know? great episode of Frasier that does this, too. Oh, yeah? In fact, I think the title of the episode plays on Sliding Doors' oh, title. Yeah. Like, I think they were just openly admitting, we're, we're going to do Sliding Doors <laughs> for Frasier for this episode. But it's great. It's one of the best episodes of the show. Interesting. It's, it's, it's a freeing storytelling technique, I think, from a writing perspective, mm-hmm. because you know at least one of these is fantasy, mm-hmm. if not both of them. And so you can kind of play with that character's life and timeline in ways that re- reality would not let you. Uh, Sliding Doors is a great call, and I, it's not one that you immediately think of, oh, that's a fantasy yeah. movie, but mm-hmm. it fits the definition perfectly. Yeah, because it, it and much in the way of stuff like uh, It's a Wonderful Life does, you know, it, it sort of allows mm-hmm. you to find out what would have happened. Or Family if, Man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Family Man. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh man um but uh yeah it is it is not one that you, you sliding doors and lord of the rings are as far <laughs> away from each other as possible yeah. they both involve orcs yes yes absolutely <laughs> somehow some way yeah i think we could probably find a better connection than that i bet you anything there's an actor in sliding doors who's in lord of the rings probably yeah so. probably that movie's yeah. set in UK, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, who at the time it seemed like every movie they were getting her to do English accents. Yeah, because yeah. she was <laughs> she was in Shakespeare in Love and... the same year. She was in Emma mm-hmm. a couple years before that, and everything. And was like, well, you kind of do that pretty good. We'll do you. We'll put you in all the English movies. <laughs> I guess she does have a good British accent. As Americans, man, we have no idea what's a good British accent. No, it's not. No, we don't. But no, but I mean, Brits we can, can come tell over the here. bad ones. Yeah, well, that's true. Like in Friends, when Ross had. He's nervous about his first lecture at the college and somehow decides to speak in a British accent. Mm-hmm. But then he's got to keep it up because yeah. all of his students and colleagues think he's British. And he's introducing Monica and Rachel to one of his fellow professors. And Rachel's like, good eye, mate, or whatever. Like they, they put on like the worst accents ever. Anyway. I remember seeing uh, a friend of the show, Kenneth Branagh, on a talk show um, once. And uh, he was talking, and, and they were talking because it was dead again when it had come out. Oh, and yeah. they- then again, he he and Emma Thompson have impeccable American accents yep. in it, and uh, and uh, they they were asking him about that and everything. He's like, well, you know, you you sort of workshop this type of thing, you know, like you when you're first learning your American accent, people are like, do Robert De Niro, and then you start doing De Niro, yeah. and then you know, and he and he actually had, I think he actually did a few of these American actors uh-huh. impressions and everything and everything. But uh, but yeah, you sort of you have to you have to learn it. Obviously, like anything else, we just go by what we've heard in movies, right? And right. you know, and uh, and try to affect that most perfect British accent that we've ever heard. And you know, you sound like you're from London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, how old are you? I guess I don't know. I'm like what forty six. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh what's funny is i'm gonna come back to that movie later oh yeah nice Uh, when we do questions Uh okay so now we're uh, honorable mentioning a lot of things yeah can i mention big go for it 
That is, uh, talk about different from Lord of the Rings, but mm-hmm. that's a straight up fantasy, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, we it have is. No clue why this happens. No, there is no. Thing. Well, I mean, you I mean, you didn't know that back in the eighties, the Zoltar machine granted wishes, right? <laughs> it was just so hard to find. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had to you had to go to an abandoned carnival and find. <laughs> and you have to unplug that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it and it happens completely randomly yeah. like you know it happens overnight the the night that he, he becomes big and then it's across the goddamn street yeah. when she drops him off at the fucking house yeah it's funny man like uh like big is one of those movies that people have started to dive into in retrospect yeah. and like all the fucked up stuff that's happened <laughs> oh, right, yeah because you know tom hanks is playing a kid who's 12 years old mm-hmm. and elizabeth perkins is you know having sex with that yeah. <laughs> that person yeah. i mean she's destroyed yeah, she's destroyed by the end of this movie i'm yeah. sure like she becomes an alcoholic they or don't actually right? have sex though do they oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah they do Later there's, on. A, there's a point where where like oh, you're right yeah you're right he gets to touch her boobs <laughs> want to touch that yeah. <laughs> um yeah big definitely mm. uh is a is a fantasy movie because yeah i mean it, when you're a kid yeah. you want to want to know what the big secret is about being the adult and everything and and, and of course he gets into that perfect situation where he gets to work at a toy that's company right and, and robert loja yeah robert loja robert loja <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um all right so uh i went through a few of these and you wrote a big huge list but uh and a couple of the on them on the best i wrote hugo down yeah oh, very yeah. good yeah martin scorsese uh doing one of the rare 3d movies that actually looks really great in 3d such a departure for him too yeah i don't i'm not used to him in this genre or even working heavily with kid actors mm-hmm. um it was a real surprise for me. Yeah. I liked that movie a lot. I remember that was the first time in a long time I watched 3D movie and going, wow, that is what happens when you get somebody good to do something like this because, you know, it actually has things to do with the story and mm-hmm. everything and it's, it enhances it. I did mention Midnight in Paris. I did mention Stardust. Uh, underrated, I put Stranger Than Fiction down. There, oh, yeah, and Underseen, too. Yeah. Such a good call. Yeah, Stranger Than Fiction is another one of those movies that uh, I don't think very many people have seen. And Will Ferrell, and, and this is at the height of Will Ferrell, he comes out with this movie and nobody sees it. Well, well it's, and it's because he's so quiet. It's yeah. like it's, it, he, No matter how you cut a trailer for Stranger Than Fiction, the audience is going to know this is not the normal Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. This is not the manic, crazy, beer-chugging Will Ferrell. <laughs> but he's so quiet in this movie, and it works. I wish he would do more of it. This well, will- yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast with him on on uh, Chris Hardwick's podcast. Yes. And he was saying, like, it, there was one of the questions, like, do you want to go into this serious stuff? And he was saying that he kind of has this reputation well-earned as being this broad comedian that's bankable, of course, from Talladega Nights and Anchorman and stuff like that. And that he really has to search these things out. Mm-hmm. These everything must go and and stranger than fiction. It's a very similar performance to everything must go. Well, yeah, the, uh, but he's he's obviously very good at. I it. I never saw Melinda and Melinda, but wasn't he serious in that? Too? No, he's he he's the Woody Allen character. He's in the that. Woody Allen. Yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just assumed that I thought that was the one where they had a a, a comedy and a and a drama. He and, is in the comedy portion uh, of that. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Stranger Than Fiction is a movie that I think everybody should sort of discover. It's a. It was a. It was a, a script that had a huge bidding war on it. I remember. Mm. Um. And so, like, it finally got. It, it, was it a huge bidding war? And then it went into production hell. It was some one of those, like, big stories of a script. You know, where it just like 
everybody wanted to do it and then nobody did it yeah and, and then uh then it finally got made and then you know it, it has that spike jones charlie kaufman yep. type of thing even though they're not involved in it a at weird all. fantastical thing happens with no explanation yeah um, yeah a woman writing a book is narrating will will ferrell's life yeah basically yeah and, emma uh, thompson oh and she has writer's block too right yeah yeah, yeah. this movie's fun i mean dustin hoffman's in here uh-huh. queen latifah maggie gillenhall um and i love that bit it's one of my favorite musical bits in a non-musical movie when she's in the other room making cookies or whatever, and he picks up the guitar in her apartment and he starts playing that song. Mm-hmm. I'd go the whole wide world. I'd go the whole oh, wide yeah. world just to find you. <laughs> and it's just such a it's such a small moment of sweetness. God, I wish Will Ferrell did more of this stuff. Well, this movie is my happy place. And and like you know he all this is this is happening to him and he's going to dustin hoffman to try to academically figure out what's going on and dustin hoffman's hilarious aren't you glad you're not a golem (laughs) um like uh okay so you wrote a list i'll go over i'll go over we've we've talked labyrinth wizard of oz never ending story edward scissorhands was another one that um you know yeah that's a that is a fantasy movie it's it it and it just like we were talking about with the definition of this thing um you know very real world yep but he's in it yeah you know this guy with scissor hands like and that movie was a hit yeah i, yeah. Like, I don't think you could come out with edward scissor hands today i don't think I don't you know. could i don't think you could do it there's if, another great seinfeld though too i finally saw the edward scissor hands <laughs> you're making me cry <laughs> <laughs> <I am so. laughs> um we did mention some Harry Potter Chronicles of Narnia, which, um, yeah, that was a doomed series to make into movies from the start. Uh, Why? You, okay, so first off, everybody knows The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. There's seven books yep. in this series. Everybody knows The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They don't really know anything past that. They may know Prince Caspian. Yep. The other thing is, C.S. Lewis wrote these books not in order. So if you're gonna if you're gonna make the movies they're all gonna be out of order story-wise mm. uh and i guess you can keep up if you're like really avid fan of the chronicles of narnia but if you're like average q you know moviegoer you're gonna see stuff that like oh this has happened before lion the witch right. the wardrobe and this happened you know at the same time or whatever and i can't remember all the different little t- go back in time things he does and then there's some real self-contained stories um the one i can't remember the one where they keep jumping into the they jump into these water this water Mm -hmm. and they keep going into these different worlds there's hardly anything to that book at all you would have had to like much like they did with uh voyage of the dawn treader i believe is what where they added like all those fucking lord of the ring battles and shit like that which didn't occur in the book at all (laughs) they would have had to do that with that whatever that one was and i can't remember which one it is but like yeah all the books are kind of like spread around they have different stories you can't really connect to uh it's not the same people all the Mm. way through it so it was such a disappointment for me my mom read these books to my brother and i when we were growing up Mm -hmm. um very special place in my heart but i mean the this is a classic case of hollywood control c control v right Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. loves lord of the rings yeah hey he was friends with this guy this guy wrote fantasy let's do that (laughs) yeah and and so what we had with the original Lord of the Rings trilogy in Peter Jackson was a, a capable, talented filmmaker pushing the boundaries of CGI who was also obsessed with the source material mm-hmm. and treated it lovingly. And in this case, we just we throw up a budget. We hire a director. We hire some actors. <laughs> Nothing wrong with 
that first Chronicles of Narnia movie. It's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. Yeah. But it just it's lacking that magic that came from the Lord of the Rings because Lord of the Rings was not successful because it was fantasy. Right. It was successful because it was fucking Lord of the Rings. And yeah. people had loved it for generations and they hired the right guy. Mm. And, you know, here we had the same kind of potential. Well, and, and, and the guy who directed the first one, Andrew Adamson, was known for the Shrek movies. Mm. And I think people generally like that first one. And then I think Adamson just moved on from there. I don't yeah. think he did any of the other ones after this. And Adamson's one of those guys that reminds me of like Gore Verbinski or somebody mm. like that who uh has capabilities of great movies in him but doesn't always i mean right. he's like very off and on and everything i don't I haven't even heard of adamson's name since chronicles of narnia which is weird since a movie that that, that big yeah. you should just j- jump you into like you know crazy stratosphere because yeah. it, it made it made a decent amount of money in fact it was i think it beat king kong that year and wow. that king kong was expected to be the one that out of that holiday season to be the one that made the most money but chronicles narnia ended up doing it um i'm actually looking at him right now he hasn't directed anything he did do prince caspian uh he did a movie called mr pip and then he did some cirque du soleil thing he has not done anything since the next one he does is 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 a 2022 adaptation of curious george <laughs> so what a so what a weird career trajectory i'm i'm guessing something has happened like in his personal life like he wanted to be with his kids more often or yeah. something something mm. along some those stupid lines. reason like yeah, that some dumbass <laughs> reason like daniel day lewis <laughs> um but uh yeah uh pan's labyrinth definitely want to mention that even though i've always thought that movie was overrated mm-hmm. um you know I, I i still really enjoy it and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful. really good fantasy movie um groundhog day good one yeah. uh on that one that's that's another one of those just with the, that's another thing with the fantasy movies there's like the high concept yeah where, you know that where w- just one little weird element in here and we, of course we don't know what happened groundhog day <laughs> like what, yeah. what, what how'd that happen yeah, yeah. um same with a, liar liar bruce almighty yeah, yeah, yeah. and liar world. liar is mentioned on here ted is mentioned on here yeah. which is uh, you know yeah i uh, love ted ted I think Ted is hilarious. It's, I do too. I and and I knew it was going to be a big hit when I saw a sneak preview audience come in to watch it, and they were just rolling. Oh, yeah. in the first fifteen minutes, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be huge. Um, but uh, but yeah, Ted has that weird thing, right? It's he's the only thing that is fantastical <laughs> about that world, and everybody accepts it. Everybody accepts yeah. it, and and uh. But then there's, I mean, there's some weird things about Ted sometimes where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't quite understand how that's possible. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, Field of Dreams, hmm. another Good one, call. another one that has uh, has a you know really cool fantastical element to it. This one guy is basically the channel for all the baseball players. Yeah, of the world. That, that magic's never explained either. Yeah. <laughs> Just accept it and go for it and go go <laughs> along the ride. The Green Mile definitely yep. has that. I mean, I think there's a really, uh, I mean, there is a definite theme. I never really thought about fantasy in this way before until we had this topic. Well, I like the way Stephen King does fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he's most known for horror, but, it, you know, within that framework, his fantastical elements are usually, they usually take place after the story is built. Mm-hmm. Same way with The Shining, same way, you know, with Secret Window, things like that. You establish a realistic baseline, and then shit goes nuts from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, 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 
with the Green Mile, it happens relatively late in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that much more of a payoff. Yeah. Um, Causes Tom Hanks to screw his wife twice. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's four times. That's that's basically summing up the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, the Tom Hanks can't pee movie in my mind. But yeah, but the, 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 the theme of a lot of these movies is that there is, it's basically your world only with one tiny difference or maybe a couple of tiny differences mm-hmm. and where it gets more out there is where you have lord of the rings where you have you know more fantastical elements but it's still grounded in a reality of some sort that that's a we could go on and on on yeah. fantasy man there's like a million of those <laughs> yeah you people have a lot of homework yeah, yeah. Damn absolutely um Get all right it. um but anyway we're going to our main topic today we're in in honor of dunkirk yeah which by this point will have been out for two or three weeks by when mm. the time this comes up uh but uh tensest movie moments ever ah, damn that was intense i'm just so freaking freaked <gasps> whoa this is heavy i'm freaking out man you are freaking out man and you were talking uh, in our Dunkirk uh, mini pod yeah. about the the bullets in the in the ship. Yeah, that was in. just it. I think it's different for everybody because I've seen people talk about the opening scene of Dunkirk where they're running from the bullets through mm-hmm. the city to get to the beach, and you know I think personality plays a, a large part in what moments make you the most tense. But when they're in that boat, they can't go up top. They don't know where when the bullets are coming or why. They're just sitting fucking ducks and it's just it's it terrified me to the point where that was the one moment in the movie where i thought i might have an anxiety attack here if this doesn't resolve soon Mm -hmm. and it doesn't resolve soon but i made it through no like 20 minutes where they're under there dunkirk i was almost like apprehensive of seeing dunkirk because the trailers every trailer that they released was anxiety producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Started mm-hmm. with that first shot of the one guy, that sea of hats, 10 hats, yeah. and the one guy looking up, and then the other guy looking up, and then everybody, and then cowering over. Mm-hmm. Man, this movie was so tough. My palms were sweaty the, the whole time. And Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. The way that Nolan builds this up is just, it's not done through gore. It's not done through overt violence. It's done through the suggestion of, of how horrible this is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think he goes way out of his way to not show us bloody limbs mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, heads getting shot. And uh, there's a little bit of that. But no, it's much more about the psychology of war. Mm-hmm. And that's why it succeeds, I think. If it had tried to do what other war movies do with the, like, you know, put you there by sheer gore. I'm like, well, I saw Band of Brothers. I yeah. saw Saving Private Ryan. It wouldn't have been as impactful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, who wants to go through some uh, tense scenes? Uh, I've got one. Okay, so it's from a movie that none of us really like. It's The Deer Hunter. Okay. Um, But man, I went back and I watched this scene again, and it is horrifying. This is the the scene that I think people sort of remember when they say Deer Hunter is a great movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because when I think about it, I always think about the time that he goes back Mm -hmm. and sees Christopher Walken just wallowing in this reality that he's he's in. Yep. Continuing this game. But the first time that they're forced to play Russian roulette, uh, it's Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken and a bunch of... Viet Cong, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Vietnamese uh, shady characters 
that are making this a complete sport. It's literally they're gambling they're on just it. Yeah, they're yelling. There's the you know the the yelling is what gets to me. Like, oh, it kills me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because basically they have to play this game or they're going to die. Mm-hmm. You're going to get shot by them, or you're going to take your chances with this. And to see the realization dawning on De Niro's face throughout this whole buildup, where he's like, ah, yeah, go fuck yourself, yeah, get, get out of here. And to where like he actually gets the gun in his hand and just starts yelling and screaming mm-hmm. and pulls the trigger and then passing it to Walken, who does the same fucking thing. Yeah. It will fry your nerves, I man. Bet. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie. Uh, maybe half of it. It's it's worth seeing just for for those performances. Uh, I'm sure it is, but that doesn't sound like the kind of scene I really want to sit through. <laughs> mm, the the you know the deer hunter man. It's one of those that I hear about all the time. People talk about how great it is and everything. I've given it more than enough chances. Um, I feel like the movie is fucking boring for the most part, <laughs> and then and then uh, and gets to those scenes. That's mm. where it's really good. Um, they tried to do other every time Russian roulette in general is always tense. Anytime you put that kind of a scene in a movie, it's just like, you know, yeah, uh, they did it. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson does it in that movie 187. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, and that's just and that the way he does it in that is just just unnerving, man. You're like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's that it's that type of game, quote unquote, that uh, that really puts you on edge in the in any way, you know, but they do it really. I mean, it's I mean, just all the yelling and stuff is what I always get. Whatever they're yelling like, no, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like just it's like it's just an extra little sensation during mm-hmm. those scenes. Um, I wrote down a bunch. Actually, when I first started this, I was like, okay, we've probably gone over a lot of these tent scenes, right? And like, and I wrote down some we've done before. Like we've been asked this question, I guess, in the, in, in before, like in, uh, when we've done our Q and A's, like, you know, wordless mo- scenes and mm-hmm. movies, and mm-hmm. so, which sort of lend themselves to this same kind of topic or whatever. Uh, when we had that question a couple weeks ago, uh, about the wordless one, one that, it comes up to mind that I just, you know, we had said this so many times. I didn't want to talk about it all the time is the mission impossible CIA hack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the tensest scenes ever. And it has no words at all. United 93's ending oh, yeah. is one of those. It's one of the tensest things ever. Uh, early on. And this is the one that I'm going to talk about uh, early on uh, in our podcast uh, history. Talked about the movie sorcerer that William Friedkin yeah. did. Uh, the they you know they're driving these big ass trucks filled with explosives that basically any shake whatsoever could end up just blowing up the entire truck uh they're and they're driving through this just this horrible like not not really a path at all area um uh through the jungle and they're following this map as close as they can and they're going over things that you should never, ever try this, you know. I mean, I know that you're trying to get a bunch of money and all this, whatever. Uh, that it's, there's some moments where I would have been like, nope, all right, nope, <laughs> nope. And uh, and the uh, there's the point where they have to drive over this rickety-ass bridge, and the, uh, the first truck has gotten through. Mm-hmm. First truck has barely gotten through and it's probably caused even more damage to this rickety bridge while it's gone through it 
So then the second one comes in and it like gets stuck and it's like swaying yeah, yeah. and like it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a point where it's like about to fall in the water yep. and all that. And you're talking, you're just talking about, I mean, just any, the slightest jolt can cause this thing to explode. And, uh, and, and they're, and it's done so well. I know that, uh, I know it's a remake of the wages of fear and we had somebody, uh, tell us that you need to go watch that movie too um i will i've got it now finally got it uh in the collection but um that's the everything and almost everything in sorcerer once they start trying to transport these explosives the whole movie's fucking yeah because that tension is always there that possibility of catastrophe follows this whole thing and you're just like on edge the entirety of that journey yes yeah good, good call uh well i'll do some lip service to the opening of inglorious bastards yes mm-hmm. which is a master class in using dialogue and implication to yeah. create tension because you know, most of the ones i have on my list are are more tense because of the action of people are taking and what's going on around these characters but this movie opens with a very seemingly simple conversation around a kitchen table with a glass of milk mm-hmm. and it's just terrifying mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think a lot of it comes from at this point in time we american audiences were not familiar with christoph waltz uh we didn't know his talent we didn't know how menacing he could be while smiling yeah. and being charming mm-hmm. um and it's, it's mostly about what's not being said um but I've, I've said it before. I think it's one of the tensest movies in film history. So I wanted to give a little lip service to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm going to go back to another one I've talked about before uh, where the circumstances cause the tension. And that's Lost World Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. The RV rescue scene. Right. Where there's two T-Rexes. Half the RV is hanging off a cliff. There's a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's raining. It's night. It's muddy. And poor Toby Ziegler from the West Wing just tries everything he can to save these people and shit just keeps going wrong mm-hmm. until the very wrongest thing possible he's bitten in two by the t-rexes yeah who, who come back for no fucking reason they do come back for no reason but at that point and see that a, a lot of movies will build try to build tension just by giving their characters obstacles but very few take the care that spielberg does to make those obstacles not only incrementally adding on piling on each other but makes sense mm-hmm. right because because of how he set this at night and muddy it makes sense that the rope might slip off the tree or you know the hook doesn't quite grab onto the front of the arm the, the only one that's a little suspect is those t-rexes coming back at the very end but I, i'm willing to forgive that at that point because he's already gotten me to anxious levels and let's not forget too and this is something that i've seen a lot since this movie now maybe it happened uh, a few times before but the just the fact that they uh, they're on the glass of the back of the yeah. RV and it starts to crack. Yep, <laughs> and everything. Uh, that's another little obstacle that they throw in. I have seen that you know in a lot of movies since. I didn't really see it before, so I don't know if it invented it or not. But that's another little you know element that they throw in there. Like you know, like you think you can as long as the whole thing doesn't fall off, at least you can fall down to that thing and yeah. you know whatever. And nope, it's that's got its limits too. <laughs> yep. Um, it just ramps it up um all through circumstances mm-hmm. uh and not not through dialogue so i just i wanted to contrast those there with my picks yeah those are good yeah christoph waltz uh is menacing while smiling in horrible bosses too 
Yeah, he's well. That's what I'm saying is that <laughs> that's sort of one of his best tricks, right? And it's been exploited at this point um, <laughs> after Inglorious Bastards because he's doing the same kind of thing in that um, Green Hornet Tarzan. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> doing that. You know what I mean? Basically, every time you see him, he's playing some kind of version of his character from what, even in the Bond movie, Water yeah. for Elephants. Water for <laughs> Elephants. <laughs> Oh God! There's a movie that time forgot. Yes, good reason. Yeah, Man, absolutely. I I watched Horrible Bosses too, just because of your recommendation. Yeah, the other night. Man, that's a bad movie. <laughs> Have you seen the first one? Yes. Okay. If yeah, you, that was exactly what you, you were can saying. Only enjoy right? it if you if you haven't seen the first one because you, they you do had make not seen the first all one. the same jokes. I understand. I understand. And it was funny to you in the first one. Right? It was. Yeah, it was. It's just that the second one they're repeating so much, but I didn't know that. So to me, it was like. There Looks is that- like a grasshopper finds up a blade of grass to sit upon. <laughs> I just love it. I eat it up. There is that one moment where Jason Bateman is in that uh, in the room with Jennifer Aniston, and he's yeah. like, "I'm, I'm going to go uh, take a pee break," and she's yeah. like, "Oh, you can do that on me." <laughs> <laughs> well, he says, "I need to go to the bathroom." She says, "You could do that on me," and then he's like, uh, "Number two. <laughs> she's like. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes uh, first time on the slopes I'm going to stay off the black time <laughs> I've seen that movie way too much by the way alright back to my tense moment I'm going to go way back to rear window mm-hmm. um, this is just such a fucking great movie it's Grace fantastic. fucking Kelly man oh Grace Kelly so there's a point you know Jimmy Stewart uh, is is basically spying on his, his whole tenement area there and he thinks Raymond Burr's character is is a killer. Mm-hmm. And so by a sequence of events, Grace Kelly makes her way up to his apartment to snoop. And so much of Jimmy Stewart's performance is just in his his face because he's confined to a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This. And when he, ex- he comes in, Raymond Burr's character comes in while she's there and finds her. And well, and let's not forget, even before he shows up, it's tense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you just realize he can come in at any time. Exactly. And then he then he does. There's a series of tense things in this. But then when he finally does discover her, he starts assaulting her. Mm-hmm. And it cuts back to to Jimmy Stewart, and there's nothing he can do. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. just looking through, and he's just, he's crying. He's like, "What what do we do? What do we do?" And it's just because absolutely he's, unnerving. He's in that weird stuff that that weird like state where he he wants to call the cops, but he doesn't want to anybody knowing what he's doing, right. which is also wrong. Right. And uh, and so he's got he's got that. I mean, and and her even going into the into his apartment is wrong. Yeah. So exactly. like it, it's because he could have done nothing wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's it's one of those. That's something that just. Only Hitchcock, I think, can pull off. Is- and you see it from his perspective. You see, like, the entirety of the windows, like, them going into the bedroom and then back out in the living yeah. room. You see the cops showing up outside the door. Mm-hmm. You see this whole perspective. It's By the awesome. way, I think we discussed this before, that if we had done the uh, we had done our brackets and Rear Window was in it, it was one of the classic movies that had a chance to get very far oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. um and, and it's one of my favorites of all time mm-hmm. i mean it's got to be in my top 10 it's my favorite hitchcock by far yeah i mean it's mm. it's one of those that just I, it's if you have never seen rear window give yourself a fucking treat and yeah watch probably it. especially since most of you saw that shia labeouf knockoff bullshit yeah <laughs> disturbia disturbia, <laughs> disturbia. <laughs> 
Um, you know, not a, I'm not a terrible movie. Although, I guess, yeah, there's there's a good amount of fans for Disturbia. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because I think they hadn't seen Rear Window and didn't realize what a ripoff they were yeah, watching. And maybe. I think if you go into it's like the horrible bosses two <laughs> could be. <laughs> if you're not aware of the original, you think this is original. You're like, oh shit, this is tense. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that movie's got nothing on Rear no, Window. Oh, Rear Window's man. so good. Uh, yeah, he sets it up so perfectly, and then. When he gets discovered, when Raymond Burr sees her like signaling to him, mm-hmm. whole other level, man. Yeah, that, that whole movie is on a different level. Yeah, it is. Well, so Hitchcock good. wasn't. Well, it's it's mm-hmm. the the thing though. It's it. It's one of the few movies that can actually put its protagonist in a bad light <laughs> at the same time as yeah. we know that there's this true evil over here, but your methods by which you come to those conclusions are really wrong yeah. <laughs> they're really yeah. wrong yeah. and uh and and uh, it doesn't outwardly say that but it you know it does make that statement um i'm going to uh mention the entire ending of seven. Oh yeah Jesus. oh yeah um you know the the ride up there is is a whole bunch of exposition and getting getting to know john doe and and everything it's when they exit the car that you really start thinking anything might happen yep and 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 morgan freeman even says while they're sitting there shaving shaving in their chests and stuff like that they're like you know if you if uh john doe's head b- uh, breaks open and the devil himself comes out be prepared for it <laughs> yeah. you know and uh and so like yeah you're this whole thing you're like what is he leading them to that you're like oh sure though they're dead man they he's killed five people he's gonna kill these you know these two or whatever Mm -hmm. and uh the blood that he's he's used for the forensics that they say is two other dead people is actually you know something he's been saving for this and uh then then you're like okay well how's he gonna win this but then the box shows up and morgan freeman runs after it and and you're like oh my god what's gonna be in the box just like Brad Pitt is later, uh, <laughs> but you know he, you know, like he, he's, he's. There's the the scene of Morgan Freeman is all silent because he's sitting there. He's like opening the box with that little knife he's got and everything, and and he and he opens it up slightly and he's like, oh, there's blood. Comes back to Brad Pitt and Kevin Spacey, and it's like just never ending yammering going on. Kevin Spacey's like, I admire you, I admire your life, blah 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 blah. blah. And uh, but it goes by Morgan Freeman is like, you can hear like nothing going on during mm. it. It's just very tense. And then he opens the box and then he he has that little jump back startle and everything. And then yeah, he's running and all that. It's just that that whole scene. I mean, you don't know what the fuck is going on. No, you just it's, know it's not right. And it's so great because the way the movie sets it up, I don't think as a viewer you ever think, well, Kevin Spacey's intending to die here. Right. You don't ever think that he has built himself in as one of the victims to his seven deadly sins killing spree. You actually are worried he's going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. What, is there a bomb in the mm-hmm. box? Like you don't you don't think like the way he does because he's twisted. And so the last two victims are him and Brad Pitt. It's yep. perfect. Oh, mm-hmm. God, I love that movie so much. If it wasn't so gross, I would watch it every week. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty gross. I eat sometimes and it's hard to watch that movie if you've eaten. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and yeah, I mean, it, and that's the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow is not part of his seven deadly sins. I mean, right. she's technically a victim of all of his killing, obviously, but she's not in that in that grand it's a means to an it's end. a means yeah and uh and now of course when you go back and watch seven that whole thing doesn't make a goddamn <laughs> bit of sense <laughs> no. it makes no sense whatsoever he doesn't like start this going you know what 
Detective Mill's wife is uh, is pretty nice. I hope I can make a, a, a perfect life with her. Probably won't. I'm going to set this whole thing up where I'm going to kill five. <laughs> he's going to be on the case. I don't know how he's going to be on the case. Um, I think you could... Maybe I'm just justifying. I think you could make the case that once they find his apartment and break into it, and he sees them on the stairwell, that he alters his plan from there. Yeah, but who was who was going to be Wrath, and who was going to be... Now, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Still so, an awesome fucking movie. No, no. I'm not saying it's uh, terrible because oh, no, of... I know you're not. I know you're not. Uh, um... Uh, I'll throw out the uh, adrenaline needle scene from Pulp Fiction. We probably talked it to <laughs> yeah. death, but that's one of the tensest and most anxious a movie scene has ever made me. Mm-hmm. Time is of the essence and the way that he's cutting back and forth. And then you've got the girl there who's just kind of fascinated watching all of it. <laughs> Those close up blurry shots. Sniping at John Travolta back and forth. And it just it builds that tension perfectly. Good shit. Yeah. I love I love that walk up to eric stoltz's house though because mm-hmm. he's got that wide shot that he's following travolta and he's like if is you know who this is is marcellus Wallace, and you let her die on your fucking lawn and, and, and and he, he, he just throws her on the <laughs> ground too <laughs> <It does. Yeah. laughs> oh man yeah. uh i've got one from uh, a movie the entirety of which is tense mm-hmm. uh, it's the descent oh um, yeah oh wow it's a uh it's a real like kind of low budget horror movie it came out around 2005 or somewhere like that it was yeah it was somewhere around there i was that was a new york movie for me so it was either 2006 or 2007 somewhere around there man it's i don't want to give too much away about what it entails but a lot of it is underground almost Mm -hmm. all of it is underground and they're spelunkers they're like extreme spelunkers it's a group of women all women yeah and they go in and before shit goes sideways in this movie, and shit does go sideways uh, with the the denizens of the cave, um, there's a is it Rada Mitchell is the, the main so, character. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where she's crawling through, and of course, you know, you're in a cave. There's gonna be tight spaces and stuff like that, but she gets squeezed into a hole where she can't get out. Mm. And if you've ever been in a cave and have that happen to you, it's one of the most terrifying things ever because you think about the entirety of the rocks above you, like how much weight is up there and how small you are relative to it. And she freaks out. She just Mm. has, she can't breathe. And she's got a friend that's trying to get her through. She's like, the only way that you can get through here is if you start breathing. And there's a thing in spelunking where you actually have to like expel all the air out of your lungs to be able to get through a hole. And while she's doing this, the rocks are actually collapsing around her. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most tense scenes I think I've ever seen. So uh, I, I just looked this up. Rhonda Mitchell's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other one. I was trying to think of the other one. That's, a, um, I, I can't think of it right now. But there's another one with like Morris Ch- Chestnuts in there. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Another uh, sp- extreme spelunking movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, but I think there's a, a, an actress in here that kind of looks like her. It yeah, might yeah. be what it is. Uh, movie has 2005 according to the IMDb, but it came out in August 2006. That was the release date. Okay, so it was one of those. If we were doing the years of the, you know, we've been alive, <laughs> yeah, we would, of course, you know, it would it would uh, totally fuck us up. Uh, that movie is very intense, and yeah. I've I've told the story before about how the opening night of that movie, I remember it was like sold out, and uh, and uh, <laughs> this woman like towards the end, the movie had no isn't over yet is walking out of the theater by herself and she's like oh my god 
Oh my god! Oh my god! Just go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's all you see. That's the fun thing about walking down a hallway of a movie theater. Every once in a while, you just see some random person coming out, and they've got afflictions. Um, <laughs> okay, so we mentioned the Last Supper before on this podcast. Ah. Um, there is a scene in here where okay, so if you're not familiar with the Last Supper, uh, the movie's about um a bunch of liberal uh friends who live together and they uh they decide that you know why is it always the republicans who are getting stuff done in the world and we're sitting back we're always talking about things we want to do and we can't do it and everything so their their idea is to bring people over to dinner and try to change their minds about their about the things that they believe in of course the first time they do it they end up killing the person <laughs> And, uh, and I believe it's Bill Paxton yeah. is the first victim in that movie. Um, and, uh, and so it becomes more about them inviting people over to dinner and they, and if they, if they can change their mind, they're free to go. But if they can't change their mind, they're going to kill them. And then it just really just becomes about them inviting people over so that, that they, they kill want them. to kill. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, there's a, there's a detective on the case. Nora Dunn plays the detective in this movie. Uh, and there's like a, a brief moment where she comes and, and comes to the house and asks about the dis- disappearance of the Bill Paxton character and everything. And uh, and so all the you know, some of the characters do a little couple of suspicious things that make her want to keep coming back to the coming back to the house. And uh, there's a point where so they've they've buried like six of these victims out in their backyard yeah. and there's tomato plants growing out of yeah. them and everything. And uh, there's a point where Nora Dunn is like basically trying to invest, like look into these tomato plants and looking around the, the grounds of the house without them knowing. And uh, and she gets caught while she's like looking at the tomato plants. Yeah. Courtney B. Vance is sitting there with a shovel and uh and like he and sh- and she's like oh yeah i was just around i heard so you know i was just looking some some details into the case and everything courtney b vance is the scariest motherfucker in this movie yeah mm-hmm. and uh and he's he's like uh there's a point where uh he's like wow I, I, she's eating the tomatoes and everything these these tomatoes are really good i don't know how you how you do it and he's like it's like topsoil finest that you can find and all this other type of stuff and he's like well you're gonna have to give me your your, all the all the directions on how to make these and whatever he goes he goes he goes you don't want to know that because then everybody will start growing these things and she's holding a tomato in her hand and they they just cut to a shot of her holding the tomato and it's like squeezed like Uh some of the stuff out of it because he's being so fucking creepy about it and everything and and you're actually wondering because he's i think he does have a shovel in his hand yeah like is he gonna do this is he gonna do this and i won't ruin ruin it for you (laughs) but um but uh it's a very tense scene and of course it just the just the her squeezing that tomato is what sort of punctuates yeah i like how the movie progresses they get progressively more miserable yeah (laughs) you know it's not like where it's just a madcap thing where they're like oh we're gonna off some fools you Mm -hmm. know it's uh in each successive thing they're just kind of like getting more and more as they should be more and more like spiritually broken right well they they didn't a lot of them obviously didn't sign up for that they Mm. signed up to change people's minds the first death is an accident Mm. 
And then, like, after that, it's it's sort of, like, becomes this gleeful thing. But, like, you know, yeah, they're, yeah, their lives, like, there's the one couple as Annabeth Gish and the other guy, um, they're, like, not having sex as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, things are, like, bad in their relationship and everything. And they're realizing that the stuff that they're doing is weighing on yeah. them so much and everything. What a great movie that is. It is. And it's a loss to time and it's lost to, like, finding it on Blu-rays and even DVD. <laughs> I will buy five copies of it if I can find it. Five copies. You can keep it keep it chambered in each That's room. right. That's right. I have one more if you guys don't. Go yeah. for it. Um uh the French Connection obviously has the uh has the great uh, car chase scene in it. Mm-hmm. Um and it has that great scene where they're actually uh then another great wordless scene where they're like breaking open that car and looking at every nook and cranny of the car looking for drugs and money and all that and they're everywhere they look there's n- nowhere to be found but it's a beautifully done like professional like a look at a professional like tearing a car apart yeah. scene and everything uh but there's another one in the french connection where he's he's chasing after the bad guy and they're on a uh they're on a subway platform and there's a train ready to go and the doors are open, and there's sort of a delay in it going. Now, Hackman thinks that he that the bad guy doesn't know he's chasing after him. But the bad guy keeps doing all these things that sort of tell you that he knows. Mm. So Hackman gets on the train, and then the guy walks off of the train and like starts to like like pretend like he's not going to be on the train anymore. So Hackman just like you know gets onto the platform and starts pretending like he has to do something. Mm-hmm. Then that guy goes back onto the train and it's like getting to the point where it's almost like all right is he gonna he's he better be on the right side of that train when it starts going and uh and so like there's a point where like finally the guy like they just keep doing this back and forth back and forth thing finally the guy steps out on the platform and immediately goes back onto the train and hackman who's like looking in another direction to pretend like he's not following him doesn't see him get back on the train doors close and he's alone on the platform yeah. and uh, i love that scene so much it may not be like super tense like you're on the edge of your seat or anything yeah. but it always gets you onto that like you know like oh my god is he going to be on the train when that when the train goes and everything and and of course the, the bad guy like gives him a little wave <laughs> as he as he <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm sure we're missing a few. We yeah, I mean, the entirety of Gravity is crazy to mm-hmm. me. The almost the entirety of Children of Men, besides the Michael Caine scenes. Yeah, um, especially that last bit, man, when mm-hmm. they're going through the uh, the abandoned apartment building. Mm-hmm. Y- you'll you'll be physically spent by the end of that movie. Oh yeah, that movie will exhaust you. Yeah. And uh, you know, like uh, Casey Affleck going into that uh, drug dealer's I almost house. Almost wrote that down. Gone baby, gone. Yeah. yeah um okay oh well, that's uh that's our topic we'll we'll, uh, we'll come up with some more i think uh some we always get questions about something along this line yeah yeah and it, you know and it, you start getting a lot of overlap and everything and then you start remembering a few that you forgot last time are we ready for some questions let's do it let's do some questions question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening hello from toronto canada hello, hello? Uh, you three buffoons have given me a whole new appreciation for Nashville, and your podcast is a welcome addition to my daily three-kilometer 
two American miles walk to work. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that whole sentence was insulting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Actually, uh, no, I I like it because <laughs> I I need that conversion from kilometers to miles. I'm not going to do the work. He even wrote kilometers as the M E T R E S. Yes, instead of fucking Canadian. Uh, well, and Canadian. his his appreciation for Nashville probably before us was that he thought that it was a bunch of redneck bumpkins <laughs> down here. You ever want like I watch um I watch every once in a while I'll see Daniel Negreanu on like YouTube or something like that and like every time he runs into some fan who's like from North Carolina or Tennessee or whatever like, he'd be like howdy how's it going and you're like fuck you Daniel Negreanu <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway it doesn't help uh, like every time the Titans play on national television when they come like a Monday night football when they come back from commercial mm-hmm. what do they show the goddamn honky tonk yep, on 2nd yep, Avenue yep. like it's like Ah, fuck you. Nashville's a cool town. Yeah, if you're here you know it. If not, fuck and you. And that's the that's the one that's the one basic strip of Nashville that is got the you know the the stereotypes yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. But there's such a diverse city, yes. man. Like you know, go to the exit in every once in a while. <laughs> well, even the Preds when they when they were in the finals, all that all that run of the playoffs, they kept bringing out these major stars to sing the national anthem that have Nashville ties. But all, almost all of them were country artists. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was like, God damn it! Yeah. Like, there's like, what's the rock band that's you could from do here? Kings of Leon? Kings of Leon. You could do um, Ben Folds. Fucking lives here. Yep. Cheryl Crow lives here. Timberlake owns a house here. Taylor Swift, baby. Yeah. Well, there's a great well, upcoming I kept rock thinking, team. I kept thinking Taylor Swift was going to come out mm-hmm. for one of those. Or even, God, how cool would it have been for Jack White to come out there? Yeah. Shit, yeah. I mean, they just, they just, they played into that stereotype way too much. And then, mm-hmm. and then they, was it during the, it was in between periods at the, at the game six that we were at. Who, mm-hmm. who was it that they came out? There was a band that's from here. Kings of Leon was actually there. They were well, Kings the, of Leon was, but that wasn't the Stanley Cup final. That was some other. It was some other band that I wasn't even sure was from Nashville until they said it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. They played in between periods, which is oh yeah yeah yeah. I forget. It wasn't Steely Dan. No no no. It was, no, no. It was like a it was a modern band. Paramore. No, it wasn't no. Paramore. But Paramore would have been Paramore would have been cool. from Franklin. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, anyway, back to the question. Yeah, <laughs> what horror movie has been absolute so absolutely frightening or disturbing that you had to leave the theater? Uh, pause the recording, cover your eyes, or never ever revisit that film again. For this listener, it was The Exorcist. Didn't rewatch that movie until 30 years later. See, I like when they give examples, but in this case, they stole my answer. Oh, shit. Because mm. I saw The Exorcist at the wrong age, <laughs> having been raised in a very Christian, conservative environment. Scared to fuck out of me mm. when the heads are turning around. She starts climbing on the... Oh, I've never gone back to that movie, ever. <laughs> and I probably won't. Wow. I'm scarred. Yeah. That's two William Friedkin uh, mm-hmm. shout outs yeah. in like 30 minutes. Three William Friedkin because we did Sorcerer too. What was the th- the second one? Sorcerer, French Connection, Exorcist. Oh, French Connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I This is one of those questions I've gotten asked a few times about like what's the scariest horror movie and all that. And I have, I have yet to watch a horror movie that has ever made me go, you know, like do anything close to what he's talking about here and i'm not saying that because oh look, look how awesome i am or anything like that <laughs> you it's, are awesome I'm awesome i at am watching i am kind of awesome um <laughs> but uh but but there's never really been that movie now i've seen scenes that make me you know and and a lot of times it's not even horror movie for example i've mentioned this before irreversible mm. has a scene where a guy 
guy's head gets smashed in with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and it is terrifying and scary and everything. Now, Irreversible is not really a horror movie, per se. Um, but it does have that one scene in it. Yeah. And I have not revisited Irreversible. Um, and it's got horrific everything in it. Because Monica Bellucci goes through some shit in mm. there that's, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you know, you don't want to see, really. Um, and... So I guess the one that the one that I can think of that I always think of as far as like wow it's fucking brutal and all that is high tension. Yeah. Um, and I and I didn't really like this movie. You didn't like it. I didn't really like this movie overall. Yeah. I didn't like. I, I see what you're saying about that because I think I had the exact same feeling. But it's fucking brutal. This yeah. Alexandra Alex, Alexander Aya or Aha yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever however you pronounce his name. Um really put some brutality in the deaths uh and he did that with the hills have eyes remake too Mm -hmm. um he's 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 very interested in doing those like just disgusting deaths when he's doing horror movies and everything but high tension definitely was one of those movies that i was like yeah it's a little bit too brutal you know i don't i mean it still wasn't one of those where i'm like oh high tension can't watch that anymore it's just that I, I'd rather not watch that kind of brutality and violence. Oh, you just, I just thought of another one. Mm-hmm. Well, because I wrote down Hannibal, right. that moment when he hangs the police guy mm-hmm. and cuts him open. Mm. And the movie, for some reason, feels compelled to show me the entrails smacking into the ground below. Mm-hmm. Bloody entrails. That That's a scene I can't watch, even though I've seen that movie. But the very end... When Ray Liotta's head is top missing, like oh his, yeah, and his brain sticking out, and they're yeah. just about to eat him, I can't, I can't, yeah, I'm almost getting queasy just thinking about it. <laughs> Anytime they do that, uh, the whole like what's on the inside comes on the outside type of horror movie deaths and everything. There's, it's very unsettling. I mean, of course, Saving Private Ryan, we talked about that before too, yeah. or that, but the uh, the uh, the director's cut of Scream uh if you remember scream where like the boyfriend first dies you don't really see anything in that you just know something's happening uh reason when i got the laser disc for scream <laughs> um, it's on the blu-ray now too i believe it's the it's the it's the director's cut where they i think they had to actually cut the eight seconds or whatever of this one scene because they actually show his intestines coming out. Uh-huh. It's in the dark still kind of, it's not like it's just so graphic, but you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, anytime that type of thing happens, you're like, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. You actually mentioned my pick for this. It's the Hills have eyes. Oh really? Uh, because it's a movie that uh, I was watching with now my you're wife. Are you talking about the remake or are you talking about the remake? Okay. Um, where we literally turned it off and never went back to that movie. <laughs> um, because there's a, a scene where, the uh, natives or whatever it is when they're they're passing through that swatch of the land where the natives come onto the RV and they take the baby from this family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what happens. Probably nothing. Hopefully nothing. Yeah. I choose to think nothing. <laughs> but I'm not going to see that fucking movie anymore yeah, yeah. because at that point I was like, fuck you. This is not enjoyable in the least bit to me. Someone's going to tell you in the comments what happens. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was that was too disturbing i it, it was before i think we had our child but even at that point i was just like no fuck I'm not, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm checked out i mean that i remember i had seen high tension and then this movie came out and i was like oh it's the same dude who did high tension and i was like god man what is with you dude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, I just saw Baby Driver yesterday. Good Caught it before mm. it left theaters, and thank goodness for that because it was great. Uh, the best word to describe it by far would be cool. Uh, both of the main character, Baby, and the action surrounding it have a real palpable cool factor. So my question is, what movies do you guys think have the most cool factor? Mm. Well, I went straight to Clooney and Out of Sight and Oceans for mm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, an unconventional answer I wanted to give is Russell Brand in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Fuck, you're cool. Yeah, because yeah. they, they even have the main character come to that conclusion. Like, fuck, you're cool. And then, of course, after that, he still finds out that guy was banging his girlfriend for a whole year, gets angry at him again, but then, like, six hours later, he sees him in the lobby outside the hotel on that couch, and they're just chilling yeah. like good friends. Like, Russell Brand is... Yeah. He's cool in that movie. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that you would want to be friends with and hang out with the way he teaches... Uh, Jack McBrayer <laughs> yeah, has sex the with the, like it's almost loving and caring. Right, the attention to detail he gives him to try and help it. Anyway, I just I think he's very very cool, but not in that obvious Clooney kind of suit and tie badass kind of cool but mm-hmm. cool in the i want to hang with that guy yeah it's so great man he's like oh mate i thought you knew yeah. <laughs> i thought you knew <laughs> it's uh, funny that's a fakest uh british accent for a real british accent ever right oh yeah you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. is he there's a reason paul rudd's like you sound like you're from london because i think russell brown is exaggerating something here in this movie with his british accent i don't know about that man they hear him talk for real, and he talks like that. Wow, it's crazy. All yeah. right. Yeah, you never know fake. when he's putting on a bit. Which is, it is kind of weird, though, in Despicable Me, he tones that to a regular, like... So weird. Yeah, it, it, you don't even know it's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my obvious pick for this uh, is too literal. Uh, it's uh, Luke and Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Paul Newman's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul Newman, man. That yeah. was the original, just fucking quiet... You could answer this question with seven different Paul Newman mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I mean, he's just... He's fantastic. I mean, this, this is why he gets that nickname. Mm-hmm. That's Cool Hand. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to cheat a little bit and say that Fox Mulder on mm. the X-Files mm. was one of the coolest characters I had ever seen, um, certainly on TV, because he's brilliant. Uh, he has a PhD uh, from wow. Oxford. Um, he he can go toe-to-toe with anybody intellectually. He gets in these adventures, but he remains calm and he remains cool uh, throughout. And he's got this kind of, that's what we thought David Duchovny uh, was like and mm-hmm. then you found out in like californication things like that that he's much more broad uh but he's got a very he's got a very even demeanor in one of the early episodes in the x-files he's about to stick his hand into like this slimy thing uh to 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 figure out what what's on the other side and he looks at scully and he's like how can i do this without betraying my otherwise cool exterior he <laughs> <laughs> just goes right in for it but he's awesome oh yeah um I, I'm going to go with uh, Chili Palmer and get shorty. Nice. Um, not in Be Cool? No, definitely not in Be Cool. <laughs> Although, yeah, I guess so. Although, I, that came on the other day, and I started watching a little bit of it. What a terrible movie. It's that terrible. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Like they did everything wrong. Yeah. Um, everything is very self-aware, but in Get Shorty, uh, you know, I, I just... I just <laughs> There's never any time really he like even raises his voice in anger. Right. There's one moment where he gets mad. It's very beginning of it. But even when he's mad, he's not really showing it. But he go, he comes, you know, he's like, because uh, 
you know the <laughs> he gets his coat stolen essentially and he goes to he goes to get it get to get it from uh dennis farina's character and uh and uh you know he's the only time he's mad is like that's my coat that's my coat right there and then he just comes in that immediately fall in love with that character because he knocks on dennis farina's door he opens up and you just see a fist <laughs> punch him and everything but like throughout the entire movie he's just sitting back and just like just taking in everything he even explains to gene hackman when he's when he's telling him don't tell the guys about me and who i am and all that <laughs> like you know don't say one word i'm just gonna be back here and you know they're gonna you know and that's it and he well and he explains it even better to martin weir the danny yeah. devito character when De- devito's trying to play him yeah and he's like he's like with my eyes i want you to say i own you without even saying it you i own you look at me martin look yeah. at me the way that i'm looking at you <laughs> yeah he's like what what are you sleepy what is that you need you need, you you need to take a nap yeah you need to take a nap um uh just the, the whole time and like yeah i mean even when even when there's he's in situations where it seems like maybe he should do a little bit of panicking or whatever he's always cool about it even while he's sitting there like hitting on the renee russo character and everything and t- she's telling him to get the fuck out he's like inviting her to this movie the next thing you see is him at the movie by himself he's like fuck it hey, i'm watching i'm watching touch of evil damn it and i don't need anybody with me to enjoy it you know oh, uh man. he's so good in that yeah that is great. really that's got to be the best travolta follow-up performance to pulp fiction don't you think yeah for sure and even even pulp fiction you could talk about cool oh yeah although i, I what i consider generally cool and everything he i mean there's still some things he does in pulp fiction not nearly as cool as what he is i think you're forgetting about mad city <laughs> oh yeah mad city Definitely. white man's burden <laughs> What's funny is the oh, only thing I remember man. about White Man's Burden is him salting the ketchup instead of the fries because it gives a better even distribution of salt for each dip into the ketchup than it does mm. by salting the fries. That's all I remember. There you go. I'm pretty sure Tarantino doctored that script, too. Uh, he may have. And that ketchup thing sounds like something Tarantino. <laughs> he may have. I don't remember, but he may have. All right, let's do one more. Can you please do a review of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Yeah, fuck no. Nope. <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was a literal question that was on our Reddit page. Well, and that's funny because in my show prep back to you guys, I just wrote no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we're not we're not answering that. But thank you for submitting. I mean, it. essentially, that's got to be a joke question. No, I, would, I, I think they're so. asking us to sin it, not review it. No, yeah, and and in that case, I'm not sure it's a joke or not. And right, no, we will well, not do that. Yeah, anymore. it would have to be a chitty chitty bang bang remake right. for us to do it. Probably right. Don't give him any ideas. Okay, my question is, if you could live in any house, apartment... Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, layer, accommodation, etc. from any movie, layer. what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> to make this question more interesting, it can't be a ship, for example, like the Enterprise. You Sorry, goddamn Jeremy. people with your qualifiers. <laughs> you goddamn motherfuckers. <laughs> and it can be from any era or world, like Bilbo's Hobbit Hole, Hobbit Hole Home in mm-hmm, lord of the rings mm-hmm. um, what do you guys think well um you guys have way cooler ones than i do so i'll go first um <laughs> I, I i always like doc brown's house in night in the 1955 it's awesome yeah uh, back to the future we only see the exterior of it once and i believe that's when marty is going up to going up to it and he's about to tell doc that he's from the future uh the inside we don't see very much of we only see the garage or whatever where they're planning out and everything but when you look at the outside of that house it looks like a lot of like 
coziness and fun and everything could be had there's like a nice deck on the second floor of it yeah uh nice little house and everything and there's a we do get illusions uh, earlier on that you know the mansion's destroyed or whatever so i guess there was an even bigger house there at mm-hmm. one point maybe i don't even know what mm-hmm. the story is behind that but the actual house that we see in 1955 back in the future love to live in that house yeah man that's awesome it's i got actually a, like that pick more than i think you do um it's got a dangerous bathroom though it does <laughs> off it the does but you much. but you will learn like amazing things about time travel <laughs> Just bang your head on the toilet, man. That's right. <laughs> well, I stole what I think is the best answer for this question, and that's Oscar Isaac's house in X Mon. Yes, that is a great one because it's so modern, mm-hmm. but so earthy, mm-hmm. and it's out in the middle of nowhere. You have to take a fucking helicopter to get there. Like mm-hmm. when my wife and I talk about dream house in the future, it's always about acreage. Yeah, yeah. the house I have right now. Just plop it on 30 acres, that would be a dream home. Because mm-hmm. the more space between me and my neighbors, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the most attractive thing about this house to me, is how far away he is from everyone. Um, but, you know, he's got those exposed concrete and all that woodwork, and it's just gorgeous. Not like any other house I've ever seen in a movie. An endless supply of alcohol, too, apparently. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the helicopter comes yeah, every that, week. Isn't, 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 that what, isn't that what's happening? The helicopter's delivering a It's lot like broke stuff. back. He's got to take the mule down to the river to get the beans from the delivery <laughs> yeah. guy once a, once a week. Yeah. <laughs> Sick of beans. <laughs> I changed my answer. I was going to say Tony Stark's man mansion from in malibu which is a good one which is a good one but i grew up being for whatever reason obsessed with secret passages oh yeah yeah so i'm gonna pick the mansion in clue yeah uh it's got everything it's got a parlor it's got a greenhouse it's got this huge kitchen it's got this wonderful dining room aren't all little boys obsessed with secret passages man probably so i think i think i was and and now now clue was not the one that i would think of i would think of scooby-doo a lot yeah yeah I think every mansion they ever went into had secret rooms right. in it. Or maybe I'm just thinking of one episode, <laughs> but I don't know. But I always like, that's the one thing that you think about. Like when I make my house, man, it's going to have like three secret passages in it. And you're going to be able to like, you know, go underground. And like, there's like, there's going to be this labyrinth of, you know, rooms down there. Um, well, what's funny is there's a guy in uh, Franklin who um, built a house completely underground. Oh, wow. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah you go down, uh, I think it's, what, I can't remember the road, but you go past this one area and you see like, you see like sort of a, it's like a, a mound. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. The entire house is built underneath. And it's kind of like, is it open on the backside? I don't know. I haven't seen the backside of it. Um, I just always drove past it and like, there's a house underneath that fucking hill. So you were obsessed with secret passages too? Oh yeah. Oh man. I, I'm still so obsessed that I was literally thinking about how I could do it in my house the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe I can get from the office up to the bedroom without anybody seeing Yeah. But uh, the one from Clue, man, it's got like, I think two or three uh, that really fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I would want to live. Anywhere with the secret passage. I was so obsessed with secret passages when we moved when I was 10 into a house that had two stories and a laundry chute. I thought that was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I could drop something from here and it'll go all the way to the basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of like Home Alone. Kind of like Home Alone. All right. Well, that'll do it for this uh, podcast. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. Yeah, keep going to SoundCloud. Everything's good there. Chance the Rapper is saving everything. That's right. We still, uh, that's our primary way of interacting, but feel free to email, free feel, feel free 
to uh, post messages on the Reddit, Twitter, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sher. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Man, I saw the trailer for Triple Threat. Have you guys seen this trailer? Mm-mm. It's got Tony Jaw, the main guy from the Raid movies, and some other guy who does mad martial arts, mm-hmm. and then some American guy who does Hong Kong action films that I don't think I'd ever heard of. Mm. And I'm like, okay, you put all these people in one movie, I'm there. <laughs> then I watch the trailer, and it looks like garbage. Really? It looks like, it looks like a Fast and Furious movie. Hey. It does not look like... The raid meets Tony Jaw. It's mm. like that sucks. Garbage. They just released the trailer for uh, the Cohen Brothers thing, Suburbicon or something like oh, that. Oh, Clooney's in that. Yeah. Mm. Or is he in it? Maybe he's just producing it. I think he's. He, I think he wrote it with the Coens. Okay. And Damon is like the main character. That's right. In it. I haven't seen the trailer. I was just saw it. Man, the informant's the been running on Cinemax. Oh yeah. The last few days. So Clooney directed it and wrote it with the Coen Brothers. Oh no wow. Shit. Mm-hmm. I like the shit he directs, like yeah. by and large. Yeah. What, is, he's, what has he done? Just uh, Good Night, good night good and Good Luck. Um, he Confessions did. of a Dangerous Mind. I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy movie. Yeah. I like Sam Rockwell, too. Mm-hmm. He doesn't He doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. No, he doesn't. Um, he did one more. Did he do Monuments, man? Um, the football one, Leatherheads. Oh, <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he directed that one. Did you ever see that? It's basically... I did. It's, it's I like the New natural. York. It's mm-hmm. like some traveling football team gets an aging guy or whatever. I don't know. I it, tuned it, out pretty quick. Movies, movies that came out while I was in New York. That's that's how I sort of <laughs> categorize a lot of those a lot of times. And and I just remember um, I, was, I was in the midst of uh, doing all those like training sessions where I ended up, ended up doing most of the work for Batter, <laughs> Battery Park. Uh, uh, building their movies for Friday and everything. I would come in, and and it was like I, I found a central location where everybody could go, where I wouldn't I wouldn't have to go to Staten Island all the time. I wouldn't have to go to Brooklyn all the time. Battery Park, right there, where everybody you can take a ferry from Staten Island straight yeah. there. You can go to Bro- from Brooklyn straight there, I and mean, everybody in Manhattan can go straight there. You probably had the longest commute. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no doubt about it. And. uh and so I would go there, and like a couple people would show up, and and you know you like write an email saying, "Hey, come on, guys, what's going on? Why isn't anybody coming? I've got I've got the backing of my district manager. He'll do something." No, no, I never did anything. He goes in. I mean, it'd be the same couple of people come in every once in a while. I mean, they come in and they they you know you're teaching them how to build prints and all that and. And then, then they'd have to go, and then you have like five more to build. <laughs> <laughs> he did Monuments Men, Ides of March, Leatherheads, Good Night and Good Luck, and Confessions of a Dead Room. I like Ides of March. Yeah, Ides of March. That is, is a really under underseen movie. Yeah. And Ides of March, <coughs> that's the one where he's playing like a governor that's that's in the running for, or he's, is he running for governor? Like or he's, Gosling's in that, right? Yeah. 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 And Gosling's like his... Um, like his his handler, right? Yeah, his handler or whatever. And there's a, I think, I think he knocks up 
some girl yeah, and, yeah. and they try to take care of it. Yeah. And all that. Evan and Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, was a, it was a good movie. So. Really good poster, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, that, you remember that? It's got the Time magazine with half of it Clooney's face and half of it Gosling's Man, if it face. wasn't for like the poster cases on the wall walking out of the theater, what the fuck are we even making posters still for? Yeah, that's true. Like, for every Christmas, time on, online I see like new poster released for Infinity War, I'm like, yawn. There, yeah. It's a poster. There are still people who go, who are... Uh, look at the outside marquee to make their decisions. Yeah, and that's a, I think the only reason posters still exist. That's right. I just I don't understand the whole digital social media releasing of posters along like 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 it's a trailer. Like, well, yeah, I mean the the release of a poster is is who gives a fuck. Yeah, yeah. I, like the poster is. I mean, it's not like they're giving away any information. Well, I don't think even the stupidest Americans are are looking at a poster thinking this poster somehow tells me the quality of this film. <laughs> By the way, that is a surprising thing that they haven't gone digital yet on. Yeah, posters. Considering you know, we got digital billboards now everywhere, mm-hmm. why why wouldn't they? Because, uh, theaters have those screens playing trailers constantly. Yeah, they could have they could have all that same space dedicated to digital uh, posters, and a digital poster could be a motion poster. And mm-hmm. look, I'm not I'm not a big advocate of that because posters are beautiful to hang up in your house and sure. stuff like that and they look they look awesome but uh at the same time i'm still surprised they haven't gone that way i think they should go with the back to the future 2 thing where jaws comes out mm, of the front the marquee the in the 3D. theater and tries to eat you yeah well uh, now it's gonna happen <laughs> now because you said that i just think they're lazy because when when i was watching uh dunkirk the tv in the lobby was playing a trailer for Transformers the last night yeah a month and a half old movie I'm like well who's paying attention to this feed yeah nobody (laughs) these days yeah nobody cares so if they if they switch the posters over digital it'd be the same thing you'd be walking out of Dunkirk and you'd see a poster for Spider-Man well not if you did it like those those menu boards and stuff like that and and the and the trailers that are on movies where they 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 keep a pretty they, they do pretty good job of keeping you informed at least they did when I left of like Make sure you take this off and put this trailer on and mm. so on and so forth. Like, you know, a new trailer would come out. They say, all right, now pull off all of your this trailer on all your movies and then put this trailer on. And that used to suck when it was, uh, you know, a print yeah, because yeah. you have to go to like eight movies and <laughs> chop it out, oh, and put a new yeah. one on and uh, and then watch it go through and all that. And But now it's like delete. <laughs> insert deleted by the way transformers the last night 14 percent rotten tomatoes oh yeah, oh, yeah. 5.3 I, I think IMDb. even i had no chance of being good the budget for that was 220 million mm-hmm. and they that's, made that's 70 million worldwide. more than the great wall <laughs> the great wall here that was the that was the interesting thing to me was looking up the great wall because it made 45 million in the u.s which is <laughs> Which is a, a tremendous bomb, but uh, made 170 million in China. Oh, just in China? Just in China. Jesus. So definitely made back its budget. It all. I think if you were to combine all of its worldwide gross, like it's supposed to make twice its budget. I don't think it made that. Hmm. But they may just say fuck it and make the next one strictly for China and. 
you watch this movie. Uh, it's funny that you and I both we were the writers on this, and yep. we both did some googling about the box office because <laughs> you, the movie's so horrid, you can't help but wonder. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking it up, going, one hundred and fifty million dollar budget, U.S. dollars. Like, how much of that went to Matt Damon? I'm mm-hmm. guessing fifty million. If 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 uh, Robert Downey Jr. can pull fifty million mm-hmm. for an Iron Man appearance in these Marvel movies. I mean, I bet they threw the fucking bank at him because he's clearly not trying. And <laughs> Dirt- I think he even reached a point where he said, man, if I try, it's almost going to look worse for me <laughs> than if I just you know, cakewalk through this. Shit. Does he keep that accent through a whole movie that <laughs> I mean, it comes and goes? Yeah, I mean, it comes and goes just like anything. I mean, I was watching. I mean, it seems like every time these these actors are asked to like. They get in one of those scenes where they're, they're, you know, it's a small scene or whatever. They somehow, they just forget about the yeah. accent. <laughs> like Canoe and Devil's Advocate. Yeah, it's like, it's like, because all the meaty ones, they're like, oh yeah, all right, I got to remember the accent. All right, I'm going to do it. And then like later on where it's like a, just a, like a, a simple exchange, they're like, all of a sudden Kevin Costner sounds like, you know, he's in Bull Durham again. Yeah. 